If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You know, I'm kind of uh, kind of liking this, just you and I, dude. Mm. What do you think? It's not as fun. You think so? Yeah, Justin. Feel- Justin's a, he's a big bag of fun. I don't know. I feel like we could be fun. F- fun-ish. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like the... Like I said, he's a big bag of fun. He brings the cake to the party. He does. He is. He is a cake eater. <laughs> That's not what I said. Just, just the, <laughs> he's the cake eater for We've sure. We've been poking at him a lot lately. We have been. It's, it's good for him, though. He's a good kid. Yeah, builds character. I like him. He's a good kid. Yeah, yeah. Builds character. So uh, let's talk about Brian. Hey, you know what? Pappy. Yes. Pepe. Pepe. Do you say it? Pepe? I think it's Pepe. Pepe. Yeah. Pepe. Brian Pepe. Hey, Brian Pepe. He's a he's a cool guy. Very cool guy. Very, right, right away when we first very met. Very cool guy. Right away when we first met, you can just tell, right? When we meet people on this show all the time, I feel like I don't I don't know you until you sit in one of these chairs with us and I get a chance to talk to you. It's true. And right away, I know if I'm going to like Here's you. Here's what happens when you come on our show. <clears throat> you come on our show, you meet with us whatever, everything's great. You leave immediately when you leave. We talk about you. We either say <laughs> Stupid, <laughs> or we're like cool guy or cool girl. So he got the cool. Yeah, he got the. Yeah, pass. he's a cool cat. Right away. Uh, entrepreneur, great entrepreneur story. Also uh, a philanthropist. I mean, one of the things that motivates um, his company Mirror is uh, the philanthropy. Yeah, they're 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 helping bring f- fresh clean water to people to impoverished areas of the world. What I really love is that, and I've never seen anybody else do this, is you can actually see your money at work. Mm-hmm. right? A lot of these companies, they do something like that, and then it's like, oh, you buy this product, and we donate it here, or we give it to this, and it's like, okay, cool, but that's all. That's where it ends. Where all their products, you can actually, I believe it has a little code on it, right? Mm-hmm. You can track, you go look up and see your money at work, which I think that's really neat. Mm-hmm. I think it's a cool way. And I think that, and we talk about this in the podcast, we get talk on this ep- episode you know, if you're an entrepreneur right now and you're building a business or you currently run a company, the importance of this. It's I think it's more important today than it was ten years ago. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a part of the formula now, or at least the consumer is actually demanding it. That's what it is. And they yeah. talk about that in that book that I'm reading right now, iGen, is they talk about that the, the consumer today wants they the, when they look at a product, because there's so much competition, there's so it's so easy to rank uh, other companies like obviously he's not the only company that makes tumblers and mugs and mm-hmm. you know cups and thermoses like a lot of companies do that but the consumer now wants a top-notch product and they want to know if they're spending money on it like what's this company stand for and where's their money going and i think he recognized that at a very early age because of what he grew up in being a part of his what it was his great it's his grandfather right it's that, his grandfather yeah who started Pepe, yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i think that they and, call he calls mirror a product to project company so i mean they, they, you know they make the these very clean looking products uh that you know good function they're simple they're they're high quality but then of course behind it is you know what they're trying to do by helping people and i, I agree i think that's the that's the way you got to run business nowadays, which I like. Now he's genuine; they're genuinely trying to do this. But I think the future of business is genuine or not, you got to do this. Yeah, I agree. They want to see that you're actually helping people, besides providing good products and good services. Um, and their products do provide a lot of value. They showed us a, an incredible hospitality when we did our live event uh, at their one of their locations. Um, very good people, great staff. Uh, 
just all around good guy. You're gonna enjoy this conversation with Brian. Now you can look at the Mirror products and see what they have to offer when you go to Mirror.com. That's with two eyes, M-I-I-R.com. Also, I do want to remind everybody. Uh, if you are interested in any of our MAPS programs or MAPS bundles where we take multiple programs and put them together and discount them, you can find them all at mindpumpmedia.com. And I guess that's it, right? Without any further ado, that's here we right. are talking to Brian Pepe of Mir. Enjoy. We need to make this place a, a little bit pretty. It was all, it's I all. I a throne. I do. Yeah. I want like a big fucking chair. I want like a rhinestone mic. Like I want it to be cool. Big, a bejeweled. Yeah, I do. That's why I said I would have bedazzle, bedazzle my mic, man. I want to tell them, hella custom. <laughs> Nobody has. You know what they say about guys get big yeah. trucks? And yeah, yeah, tru- yeah. Same yeah. thing about thrones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and bedazzled microphones. Like, yeah. What do they say about the guy who has those dangly yeah. like, rubber balls on big the back pillows. of the truck? Yeah. Have you seen those? I almost did what that. What is that? I almost of did that. Of course you did. I almost did God. that. I feel like if you have a lifted truck, you have to at least consider it. Yeah, but right, it's like, <laughs> it's so in your just, face. It's just, like, in, just in case ah. people didn't think that you were needed, yeah. that you thought you had a small dick, just put, <laughs> put, put balls, balls on the back. Of Basically, your, your truck is the dick. That yeah. might, those are the balls. That might have been that might have yeah. been why I didn't do See, it. See, my strategy was like, huh? If that's what people think, I'm gonna I'm drive. A, a I'm gonna drive a Jetta, <laughs> which is what I still drive. Which, you, which is like repellent for pussy. Yeah. You're such a rebel. <laughs> You're such a rebel. It's the number one vehicle driven by gay men. So you may as well just fucking just put a big sign on your on the back of your. Comfortable with myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you own it, yeah. man. I like you guys a lot. I, I secretly loved it when Volkswagen just got their asses handed to them on the TDI. Oh, oh. So many of my friends were like, look at me and my TDI. I've got my turbo diesel. It's saving oh. the world. And then boom. Right. Did you three see- times as bad as a gas vehicle. <laughs> Have you seen the documentary Dirty Money on that? No. Oh, you oh. got to watch. Out? Oh. It goes in depth. Yeah, it goes oh, in depth. I yes. love documentaries like Dude, that. Dude, you will. It's called. If so, if you've not it seen that. It makes you angry. It's a six part documentary called Dirty Money. And that whole. I didn't realize how far back that goes. That's a big scam that was like. Like decades or? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they game the system. You gotta wa- you gotta watch it. Doug, pull up Dirty Money and Dirty Money and TDI and see what pulls up. I I, I think that's the the name of it. Somehow yeah. they're able to like lower the emissions indoors, right? And so they they knew that you test indoors, like you but then outdoors the, it was like exhaust. It like tricked it or something. Yes, yeah, they, they had some. That's what it was. They had some scam going with the the testers, and they were just oh, it's a great documentary. I had no idea about it, and then I didn't know the history um, of it and how that all came up. It goes all the way back to like Hitler. And oh, what? oh, the Volkswagen? Well, yeah. yeah, people's car. It's yeah. a Hitler, the, the, the Hitler, I mean, yeah, that the regime Volkswagen bug. created the, the Volkswagen. The Beetle. Yeah. It's a not, it was a Nazi car <laughs> when it first started. How, now, the irony, let's think about this I for know. a second. Yeah. The irony became it was, hippies. Exactly, it was a Nazi car, <laughs> yeah, and then the counterculture buys Volkswagen buses and is like, peace and love. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That, the, the documentary, there yeah, it is right there. Yeah. The documentary gets all into that. It's great, man. Is it on Netflix? Yeah, uh-huh. it's yeah. on It's on Netflix, definitely. And I'm trying to remember what else, what other... Uh, who didn't you guys watch it too? I watched it. Yeah, I don't the whole this, the whole like environmental market is a is a it's a crazy like I, like any market once it gets a lot of steam you get this crazy cronyism you know start to you know yep. involvement like like the 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 train that they're building in California that they're saying oh it's a fast rail it'll save yeah. so much whatever it's costing so much money and it's not saving anything at all it's actually 
extremely inefficient. It's not going to help anything. Yeah. But but because the the contractors, the people who are getting paid by the state to make it, they've got their connections. And then they'll find oh, some yeah. endangered insect and halt you know all production. Well, I remember when I was shopping. <laughs> I don't know if I've told this story on Mind Pump before, but I remember when I had I had my big lifted truck that got a whole like eight miles to the gallon. And at that time, like I ran on baby seal meat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember with the subs in the back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. I did. I yeah. had two jail audio subs <laughs> in the back. Panda, for panda sure. fur chair, TV, yeah. TV screen that flipped out. Everything. Oh, yeah. uh, yes, I, yes, I had oh, all yeah. that. <laughs> but I remember uh, at that time too. I was I was snowboarding a lot. I was on the lake a lot, wakeboarding. I was doing a lot. Of, so I was traveling from the city, back, and I wasn't really paying attention to my my gas. And I, I look up on my Wells Fargo like track. You know, they separate when they first started yeah, separating yeah. your bills, like your grocery gas. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was spending like eight fifty a month in gas. And I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of gas money, right? <laughs> yeah. And I thought, you know what? If I could just if I went out and got like a Prius, you know, that gets fifty miles to the gallon or whatever, I literally the payment would be negated if I just drove it half the time. Like if I just bought a new car, drove it this more, it should more than pay for it. Right. Yeah. It should, so at literally the next day I went down and bought a car, but I was going to go buy the Prius, but I, I realized what a scam that was because they, they marketed it as this great way to save gas money. But then it's uh, 10, 10 to $15,000 more than the Toyota Corolla. And the Corolla got me 35 miles to the gallon versus 50. And when you do the math out, it would take 10 years before <laughs> yeah. I would make up the difference. And then I walked away with a Corolla that day. But I, I didn't know that until I went shopping, what, it, what a scam that shit was. Well, dude. nobody talks about the actual CO2 emissions to go and get the minerals for all the batteries yep. in the e-vehicles. Yep. Uh, and then what they do with the batteries too, right? Isn't that After it? like 10 years or whatever. I mean, right. the, the battery technology should get good enough. I mean, look at Tesla, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it, on top of I it. think we'll self-driving cars, when that becomes a big thing, do then, you know what's then so you'll see that be a big thing with batteries because then they'll just, the fleets will go out, do their driving, come back, charge at a station. Yep. It'll be much more efficient. Do you guys know anybody that ha actually has a Tesla and has put one of the charging stations in their house? The mm -hmm. battery wall thing, yeah, you know, or so the charge, the charge, the, the, the wall, yeah, the actual charger, right? Mm -hmm. So, oh, yeah. so no. I, I was just telling somebody how I, I want a Tesla, and they're like, "Well, maybe before you do it, make sure because we're house shopping right now too." They're like, "You might want to look into what your insurance will go to." Supposedly, if you get one of those in your house, like your home insurance goes. Why like, they're afraid it's gonna explode? Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. It's a real <laughs> concern. Yeah. Like, let me put a nuclear reactor in my house. Yeah. <laughs> It'll totally save my it's energy totally costs. Work right, out. Right. Your mortgage is two thousand, the insurance is three <laughs> yeah, a yeah. month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just so you can drive this car around. Well, well California is passing a law that new houses being built have to be have to have solar panels on them now. I saw that. And and Oh really? Yeah, and people I mean, some people are looking at that being, Oh, that's great. It's gonna be great for the environment. But uh -huh. what a lot of people don't realize is there's backroom deals going on between the state and the solar panel manufacturers, and that's why these deals kind of get through. But they, you know, they they put it through on the guise of, oh, it's to save, you know, the environment. Yep. So now it's funny we took this conversation this way because Brian's a perfect guy to talk to and ask this about. Do you feel like there's a lot of people in a similar space as you that are that do the giving back thing as just like publicity and to make their company look good oh, and, they're, and they're really dirty kind of hundred percent oh wow Dude. so there's so many people out there, and so many that have just gone up and died oh really mm. yeah and it's i mean I, I think we talked about it a little bit up in seattle but fundamentally if you're not adding value with your product or your product is amazing and all you're you're trying to build your brand on the back of doing good it's going to fail mm -hmm. at some point i think it will legitimately fail and or struggle right like look at tom's right massive growth and now they're struggling big time 
part of it is, I think, because their shoes, I mean, remember their shoes are 50 bucks and mm-hmm. they fell apart in like a month? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. You, you, you. I mean, rule number one in business is you got to provide value to your customers. Totally. Um, now, part of that value is in today, at least, because it wasn't like this even just 15 years ago. But part of that value is what your brand stands for, uh, maybe what the the CEO and the founders are all about, and that became much more apparent. I think Apple was the first company to really make a big difference with that, in, in the sense that. Like people really gave a shit about Steve Jobs and kind of idolized him, mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the reasons why you know Apple did so well. But they also had tremendous value and did such a good job with with their product. Do you think that was intended that way, or do you think that's just because he was so brilliant and I think so that, groundbreaking yeah, that people I think were that, interested in what mm-hmm. he was doing? I like, think that started the whole thing, right? Because right? I don't feel like that was like a strategy by Apple or you know any of those guys. No, I, I, I think, think that they, was he was. They were a bunch of geeks inside of a fucking garage yeah. that weren't, you know, they weren't out yeah. there trying to, you know, put themselves out. No, I think that's, I think it started like that. Like he's just got an interesting story, got kicked out of his own company, came back, blew it up, like the whole thing, eccentric, you know, and, and kind of exemplified the, the, you know, the new, you know, market, the, the, the tech market and what it kind of stands for. Um, and, but now you're starting to see people are really interested in those things and it's part of the value, but it's not all of the value. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And I think what you're what you're saying is some companies make the mistake thinking, oh, that's all the value, and yeah. then we'll just on the side we'll make this shitty product. The value's like, oh, we want, and it's you know, really good intention sometimes. People are like, oh, I want to save the whales, and we're going to go out and make this thing, and they have no idea what they're, or they're just going to make some shirts that say "Save the Whales." It's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, see how long I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have Do you have a podcast that's informing about why it matters, or you know, food supply, or you know, is ocean plastic ending up in the whales, which is affecting whatever eat, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, is there more value than just like selling a shirt that says "Save yeah. Whales"? You dude, know, I mean, it's dude, a micro example. But. Brian, you have an, a very uh, interesting story, and you've told us a couple times, but our audience isn't familiar with your story. Yep. And I think it needs to be told because it's kind of interesting, and it, it starts off with you saying before there was an event that happened before mm-hmm. that you said you were a, kind of a, di- a dick yeah and then something happened <laughs> yeah i feel like changed. i feel like this is actually Let's appropriate. Get more into that so, part so of my it. so like i used to tell a story be like back in the day i was a total douchebag <laughs> yeah. and my, my wife hates that word she hates the word she's gonna listen to this podcast she'd be like you can't you said you wouldn't say that word and i'm like babe it was mind pump media yeah, yeah, yeah. it was totally it okay here. it fits here they pulled it out of you <laughs> they pulled it out yeah and so I think the word now is like tool, dick, what, you know, whatever you want. Like okay. pre-2006 uh, was just, it was all about me. It was like, what could I do to make myself better, make more money? That's That was like my vision of like, how do I do stuff for me, right? Mm. Uh, were, you, were you, did you grow up uh, like affluent, privileged? Did you have like lots of things, you know, provided for you? And is that, do you think that contributed to your totally. attitude? Yeah, I think it was yes and no. So like good example. So like my, so my grandfather uh, started a company, the Pape Group on the West Coast, started in Eugene after World War II. Um, and actually he was the original shoe giver. So, you know, Blake from Tom's, he likes to talk about him being the original shoe giver. My grandfather, World War II, over in Europe helping build bridges, would collect shoes and milk. And when they go into a uh, community after, you know, the the Nazis were defeated. He would hand out shoes to the kids because they mm. didn't have them. Oh no shit! Oh, that's um, awesome. Which is a story my grandma told me recently. So I thought you know he was a pioneer on fucking shoe Tom's yeah. <laughs> biting off your family. <laughs> we didn't even know that dude. <laughs> um, so he, you know he he grew he grew this um, successful family company. It's still held by the family. My cousin's the CEO. They sell um, heavy equipment, so like John Deere, uh, Heister forklifts, a lot of the heavy equipment's in construction. So I grew up watching my grandfather and my uncle build this company. And and with that, you know, came came a bit of privilege. You know, my my um, 
you know, my family was able to travel a fair amount. We, we traveled around the world. Um, but it was, but in the sense that like my parents, we, we didn't talk about it, you know, um, to people around, like I grew up in Idaho. So somebody in Idaho travels to like South America and Eastern Europe and all over the place. Like that's probably unique. I would think. Yeah. So spring break people like, where'd you go? And they're like, Oh, I went to maybe Disneyland. And that's like a big deal for someone in Idaho. And they're like, where'd you go? And I'm like, Oh, I went to South America. You know, so it was one of those things where like I was mindful of it, uh, but it definitely contributed. I mean, a good example is, uh, some of my, some of my homies on my soccer team, we, um, my grandma, and, th- and this kind of points to like, you know, like, okay, he was so privileged, all the money came to him, whatever. And, and it's, in fact, it's, it's not, it's not that way, but here's a good example. So my, my grandparents have amassed wealth. My grandma wants to create this foundation. Part of it's giving money away to communities to, to really help, um, improve the communities we all live in. Um, but the part of the other foundation is to get the family together. So there's, uh, my wife and I are having our second kid, which will be my grandma's 25th great grandchild. So I'm the 14th grandchild. Oh, wow. My uh, daughter, son, we don't know yet, surprise, will be the 25th great grandchild. She celebrated her 96th birthday oh, yesterday. Wow, I was true. in Portland um, with her and it was um, it was incredible. So so part of their vision was let's get our family to travel around the world. So we used to, we used to go really cool places. Um, she grew up on the sound up in, up in uh, Puget Sound. So on the water, her dad built boats by hand, just like really, really good woods craftsmen. So she loved the water. She loved boats. So she ended up starting to um, to rent yachts for like two weeks. So she would rent Bill Boeing's old yacht, the Taconite, which is this 150-foot uh, yacht. Um, and we charter it and we go up to like Desolation Sound. Oh my God. It was amazing. Right. And wow. so, and I'm in high school and you know, and this is not normal. So I, I know this is not normal. Were you allowed um, to bring like a chick with you or anything like that? Or? Exactly. So oh like, at some point you're yeah, so like, slaying in high yeah, school. So that's, yeah, like, so. that's, that's the move. Yeah. That was the, that was, you know, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but in high school I was like, you know, I was, it was weird because like I, we weren't, we weren't not allowed to date, but it was one of those things where like growing up in like a very conservative household, it was like you date when you're in college, you date later in life, you mm-hmm. don't date in high school because you're also going to leave Idaho for college. You're not staying here. Like mm-hmm. it was one of those things where like Boise was an amazing town, but it was, my parents were like, if you want to go to school in Boise, you're going to pay for it. You can go anywhere else and we'll pay for it. Oh, that's <laughs> so interesting. It was, so it was like, they, they knew that it was like, mm-hmm. you have to go out experience in the world. Um, and, and listen, Boise is great. But in high school, I was like, all right, I'm going to bring my homies, um, on this trip. Cause you were allowed to bring one friend. Well, my, fr- my best friends were twins. So I called up my ground. I'm like, Hey, Baba I called her Baba. Um, you know, I want to bring a friend on, on this trip, but my best friends are twins. Can I bring both of them? She's like, yeah, sure. Not a problem. You know? And so, you know, they've got, they've got a couple of yachts and, um, you know, people would fly in and out throughout those three weeks that she was there for the entire time. Cause not everybody can be there for three weeks. We all right. have jobs and whatnot. And so, um, basically I call my two buddies. I'm like, Hey, we're going to go on this amazing trip. We're going to look at, you know, we're going to water ski, hang out, whatever. And, uh, they're like, cool what do we need to do? I'm like, we're just, we're just going to show up at the airport. And they're like, okay. You know, so we would show up at the airport. Grandma lands in her plane. We jump in, fly to Canada. You land, customs gets on, looks at your passports, gets off, you get in a limo and you go to the, you go to the yacht. So it's like things like that. You're like, holy shit, this kid's like a little rich little bitch. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I say that in the sense that like, and yet I had to mow the lawn. I had to empty the dishwasher. I had to do all of that. And here's a good example of, I think how my parents are parents instilled character in spite of the the wealth that my grandparents had generated. First of all, nothing nothing was given to me, first first and foremost. The second thing was, in the summer before I went to college, I broke everything. 
literally everything. That summer was like the worst summer of my life. So we built this pirate ship to float the Boise River. Everybody floated the Boise River in the summers. And usually it's just like a raft or an alligator, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so we're like, no, we're going to build this raft. So we built this giant raft on like four sheets of plywood strapped to 55-gallon bell drums, pirate flag, you know, water yes. guns, water balloons, just douchebag, you know, tool stuff, you yeah. know, things where you just like this. harassing people. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we float a cake, yeah. behind, float yep. a cake behind it. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. So we were just harassing people. I mean, it was, it was all fun. Right. So we get to the end and we're about to pull out at Amorson park raft flips over. And on the raft is a cooler with all my dad's tools strapped into it. Cooler opens tools, bottom, bottom of the river, gone. You know, uh, uh, I get home. I'm like, Hey dad, you know, we, we flipped this raft and unfortunately all your tools in the bottom of the river. And he's like, well, you can either go pick them up or you can buy me new tools. I'm like, seriously? He's like, yeah, you, you lost the tools. You need to go and buy them. All right. So as a tool, I had to go buy tools, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I had saved up money. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, he just bought the money that his parents gave to him. No, I had to like mow lawns. I had to wash cars. I was filming weddings. I'd taken our family's video camera. I was filming weddings at the time. So I'd go and film weddings, save up money and then buy more video, video mm. equipment. Um, and that's why I have so much respect for this, this studios. Cause Appreciate it. Um, now looking back though, were, do you, and, and if you're being honest with yourself, did you were you kind of like a spoiled brat attitude about it then? Or were you already putting it together that, you know, I was, you know, I was putting it together a little bit because I knew I recognized, um, you know, if you went and talked to your friends about the shit that you did, that was like out there that doesn't like with bros, they're not like stoked. They're like, fuck you, man. Right. You know, like, <laughs> right. you know, and then, and then I think that's really ultimately what attracted me to my wife. Cause she had, she like had, she couldn't care less about going on a yacht trip or like going on these trips with my family. She's like, I mean, it's fun, but like, I don't like you because of that, you know, mm -hmm. like she couldn't care less. Right. Um, but back, so back to that, that back to the summer, that was the start of it. Then I'm mowing the lawn. There's this oil pipe that sticks up because the house used to be heated by oil back in, you know, whatever the 60s, 70s, put the lawnmower over the top of the, of the pipe, bends the shaft of the lawnmower. Lawnmower is broken. My dad's like, well, you're gonna have to fix it. I'm like, well, it's cheaper to buy a new one at Home Depot. He goes, no, 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 you broke this one. You're going to fix this one. <laughs> so I have to take the lawnmower to go and get it fixed at this lawnmower repair shop, which I don't think those exist anymore, but there's a lawnmower repair shop. On the way to the lawnmower repair shop, lawnmower's in the back of the Suburban. I had secured it, uh, got unsecured somehow going around a corner. <laughs> lawnmower goes out the back window of the Suburban. Oh my goodness. Whoa. And I get home, my dad's like, looks like you're going to have to repair that window. And so just all of those things added up where it's like, it wasn't just handed to me. It absolutely had to get earned. Um, and we drove around piece of shit cars too. Like we always had the worst cars that would always break down. I was like, dad, why can't we just have a new car? And he's like, no, you don't need a new car. You're 18, right? Like, yeah. like that was the mentality. And so as soon as I was in college, it's like, I'm going to save up because I want my own new car. I want a warranty. When it breaks, I want to take it to dealership. They're going <laughs> to fix it. You know, so I really appreciated that. So it was, it was, it was never ever handed to me, yeah, uh, yeah. so to speak. So it was more of just experiential trips through my grandparents. Mm -hmm. So were you siblings? Yeah. Three older sisters. Um, they definitely kept me in line. Oh, you're the young, you're the baby I'm the, boy. I'm the youngest and the dumbest. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, they really, really smart. Oh my gosh. My oldest sister has a master's in like food systems. The next sister is a doctor and she's also getting her MBA. And then the sister closest to me, uh, went to Stanford and then got her master's in urban education. Oh, wow. now did that ever fuck with you growing up? Like, so I oh, mean, yeah, I'm I the mean, oldest of five. And then sometimes I feel like my, my two youngest brother and sister, they, they always are telling my mom, like, I'm not my brother. I'm, and they stop comparing me that way. Do you feel did you ever have that? Yeah, you know, with with them, they would, um, you know, early on, they'd always like dress me up and stuff, you know, and it was like it was always <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> photos and dresses and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, there was that, and you know, the 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 pressure of high school for me was immense, and I say that because they were geniuses. So they all got four four O's, four twos, whatever, going throughout throughout high school, and it was the expectation. I remember coming home and being like, "Oh yeah, my buddy Logan, he gets paid for for good grades. Like, are you going to pay me for A's?" 
And my parents were like, no, you're expected to get <laughs> Right, we're going to discipline you for yeah. beasts. Yeah, you know, so it was, yeah, so it was one of those things where it was like, you know, you're ex- there was this like expectation of excellence um, regardless of finances. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, I, I can see it too where like if that doesn't exist in a house that has has wealth, like you're going to grow up an absolute mm-hmm. asshole or you could, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really credit my parents for kind of creating that humility mm-hmm. uh, growing up. But my sisters had these ridiculous grades. I basically cheated my way through high school. Like <laughs> I would find their papers, figure out, you know, how they got an A and, and reverse it. I was I was not built yeah. for school. And then I got to college and I think I graduated like a 2.0. So. Mm-hmm. But you graduated. I did. Yeah. I, did. I barely yeah. graduated. <laughs> no, but how did your parents deal with that? Were they okay? Did they let you kind of find your own path or were they like really hard on you because you weren't living up to those expectations? You know, they were, I mean, they were hard on me. They, I was, um, I was super into soccer. I got recruited to play soccer at Seattle Pacific. That's ultimately why I went up to Seattle, uh, was to play soccer up there. So I did, I had this athletic, um, kind of path that my sisters hadn't gone on. And my dad had played football at Stanford. And so again, like this level of excellence, like mm. you go to a school that's, you know, one of the best in the, in the nation and you play sports and there was this expectation that I would do the same thing. And so, uh, fortunately I was able to get a four Oh in high school. I have no idea how I pulled it off because I, I'd like, Cliff Notes, it was, you know, this is like barely the internet survive, like come into fruition. So yeah. you're at Barnes and Noble reading Cliff Notes of, you know, yeah. whatever book, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, Grapes of Wrath or whatever. Yeah, trying to write an essay on all that. <laughs> yeah. I used to rent the movie of yeah. the book. That's how I used yeah. to do it. Yeah. So, so, so what, you, you don't sound like such a bad, like a bad kid or like a tool, like you said. Why did you, why do you say that you were a tool at this point? Like, what was it that you would, that you would I think the ego think? was, I think the ego was massive. Oh. So, uh, so while I didn't, um, especially in high school, you know, because you're with, you're living with your parents. You go to college and you're not you're not living with your parents anymore. And so in college, you're all trying to figure out, you know, who's who and, mm-hmm. and who has what and whatnot. And, and and especially in the Northwest, the Pape name is very visible. It's on like every single piece of heavy equipment. And so mm. people are like, oh, he's a Pape must be wealthy. And you're like, well, maybe I'll lean into that a little bit. And so that's what, you know, kind of, kind of, which tool. is natural for a kid. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're trying to, you're trying to meet people. I think it's a very natural, that's a, that's a challenge. It's people yeah. don't realize like if, if when, when you, you know, I used to, the, I used to own a wellness studio in a very, very affluent, uh, part of the Bay area where the average, you know, three, four bedroom house is like $3 million, right? Yeah. Very, very affluent. And there's a high school there. And at the high school, I remember there's like two or three years in a row where there were like suicides, multiple suicides, mm-hmm. which are extremely rare. But there's different challenges, I think, growing up very, very affluent that you maybe don't get in. And I'm not saying it's better or worse or anything like that. I understand that, that may come across as saying like, oh, you know, being affluent is really challenging. No, it's just that no, it's it, just it different. Is. It's just different. It's different, you know. And if you have it's a, a child. Challenge. Yeah, if you have a kid that's growing up with all these things, I think the challenge as a parent is how do I raise a kid that doesn't take this all for granted and who, you know, understands that they need to work for things in life and contribute. And I think that's probably what your parents were trying to oh, 100%. instill in you. And do, you so, have, yeah. do you have specific things that stand out in your head that like now that you want to make sure you do with your kids? Because I mean, if your grandparents are well off, you're doing well for yourself. Now you have kids, they're going to grow up in a very similar situation. Mm-hmm. Are there things that stand out to you? Like, I must make sure that I do this and this with my kids. Yeah. To- I mean, I think, I think earning it, is and however you want to do that, whether it's you know to to get you to to have an allowance, you got to do X, Y, and Z, and it has to happen on time, or it's, or you're not going to get your allowance. You know, setting up discipline for whatever it is. So if hey, you're going to give your kid a couple hundred bucks every month or whatever for discretionary income, in order to do that, they've got to do they've got to sweep the floors, do the dishes, whatever, because those things are valuable. You know, to learn that discipline of like having to clean up after yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other thing too is, you know, looking back, like my grandparents are kind of like old money in the sense that like. There was, ge- there was wealth being generated, but there was absolute an expectation of excellence and an ex- expectation of manners, 
You know, there was these things that were like, you know, you don't just roll into a place and just pretend like it wasn't new money style, you know, Mm kind of today where it's like all about flash. And that's, that's the thing that's a little bit different now is like now with wealth, it's kind of like people flaunt it and they, people show it Mm -hmm. back in the day. That was part of it too, where it's like, you would never know. I mean, our house was nice, but it wasn't just like some massive, massive house. Mm -hmm. And even my grandparents, you know, dressed nice, but not over the top, you know, you never were, you know, kind of flaunting back in the Mm -hmm. day. And Mm so, um, plus like the, the charity car- that they were involved in, they did yeah, a lot of know, charity. Yeah. A lot of nonprofit work, um, volunteering, you know, my, my, my parents made me volunteer and eventually it became a choice, you know? So it was kind of this encouragement, Hey, you, sh- you need to volunteer, like pick something. Yeah. And then it's like you under, you, you learn to appreciate it. Cause mm-hmm. if you force somebody that the backfire is that they're like, ah, I'm never going to volunteer again. Right. So there's a fine line of like forcing and encouraging, mm-hmm. um, anything, any, anything you would do different. I mean, That's those are all question. great, great things. That some, I mean, obviously you have great parents. You can just tell by what, the way they did raise you in that situation. Anything though, you look back and you're like, oh, I'm going to do that different. I, you know, you know, I think the sport thing really, really sticks out. I totally understand by playing sports how like it was a blast, right? I went to college and I was burned out. I quit my freshman year. I was out. I was, I tapped out. And my, I think it really disappointed my dad. I think it really did. Cause he had had this amazing experience of playing football at Stanford, Rose Bowls, the whole thing. And so he kind of wanted to live that through me. Mm. And it really affected me in a, in a, not, it wasn't so negative where I was like, uh, and I, but I was honestly going to go play soccer for him and not for me. Mm-hmm. And I quit and, as soon, and, and after I quit, he was fine with it. So, you know, the good news is that like, he wasn't super upset, but I, I could tell he was disappointed. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that like, as I grow, as I raise my kids, that when they grow up, it's not, you know, Hey, we need to be active. Here are three sports. What do you want to choose? Right. Yeah. And hey, if you, if you're out, if you're over it in high school, cool. You know. Yeah. You yeah. put you push too hard, then they rebel. Kids tend to want to rebel when they're finding themselves. Yep. And one of the one of the ways you find yourself is you you rebel against what, what the norm is, and sometimes you realize, oh, okay, I don't need to rebel that way. But you typically will rebel at first. Mm-hmm. Well, this is you totally know? a struggle. I mean, this having two kids myself, being an athlete, yep. like you know, you you don't want to set them up to where they're going to resent you later on by being too hard. Even though I want them to come to me, right? Totally. I want them to learn and and be able to, you know, want to get better at their sport and practice and, and all that, that kind of stuff. And- so how do you, yeah, how do you sort of uh, present that to where you, you know you lay it out where they want to learn and where they want to like yeah. be invested in the sport? And so totally. you, you're already thinking of that as far as I think like, it's options. Kids, you know, yeah. it's kind of like you never ask your your kid what they want to wear because mm-hmm. they'll never decide or it'll be. <clears throat> hilarious and maybe it's funny i don't know but you just like do you want to wear the 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 jeans or the red pants yeah like which yeah. one that's you a know, basic so, sales technique yeah. by the way yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is it's called yeah. alternate advance yeah, alternate yeah. Advance. Exactly. Communication technique. so you know with sports you're like all right i want my kid to be active yeah. all right we're gonna try skiing yeah you're gonna try karate or whatever you know and like you, you get, get an attraction there yeah you yeah. get to pick no? and it's okay. you know and move then on. they get to figure it out mm-hmm. and test it hey you don't like it cool move on to the next thing but right. And I secretly think it's though, secretly is there things that you want them to be into though? Is there oh, certain there skiing? Skiing for sure. I want uh, that. Yeah. Like, and, and I took my my two year old daughter Sienna skiing this winter, and she loved it. Like, oh, she was just mm. straight. That's ripping. gonna get you so excited. Oh, I was just, I was pumped. I skied like one day this year. And it was with her, and it was, I was like, you know, it's fine. People are like, oh, bummer. And I'm like, it was also kind of sweet. Do you like, find yourself having to calm down a little bit? Oh though? yeah. Oh yeah. Like, it was like, excited. It was yes. sunny. She was stuck because you never know. You're like, all right, is she gonna like it? Do yeah. we know? Is she gonna panic because she's in these boots and this weird experience? We kind of played with the boots, and one of my friends had the best advice. Basically, put the boots on your your kid, 
a day or two before, let them play in the snow with all their stuff on, uh, let them have fun. So we went sledding with their boots on, we went that's outside, smart. That's a great advice. in and out. So then when we got to the mountain, it was like, all right, we're putting on your boots, we're going to have fun. And it wasn't long, you know, we were out for like maybe two hours and went in the lodge and had mm-hmm. hot chocolate, came back, you know, and she was just like, now it's like, and then we have this property in Eastern Washington where there's like a small hill. And so it gets about two feet of snow in the winter. So we skied out the property. And so, you know, we're hiking up, walking down skiing and she loved it. So now it's like, Hey, Cece, we call her Cece for short. We're like, Hey Cece, we're going to go out to the ranch. And she's like, ski, snow, ski, snow. And we're like, well, there's not snow right now, but <laughs> <laughs> we will. That's cool. Yeah. What, what yeah. is it? What is your, your, your daughter taught you so far? Because, I mean, kids, t- they teach you so much as, as oh, a parent. Man. About yourself, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, re- I mean, almost like relearning stuff or, like, seeing seeing the beauty of the world through her eyes because mm. everything that's new to her is, like, amazing. You know, like, airplanes. She is obsessed with airplanes. And it's, like, in the city, you're like, yep, there goes another airplane. And she's just, like, airplane. <laughs> and just, like, so focused. It's magic. Yeah, it is magic. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, kind of like opening my eyes to, to re-seeing the routine of the world because you get in your grind and it's like you walk to and from work or whatever and you just see the same things. You don't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden mm-hmm. she'll be like flower and you're like, yeah, there is a flower. Yeah. That's a cool looking flower. So like slowing down, reflecting mm-hmm. on actually what's around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she has, you know, it's interesting as you as you raise a child and you're looking around at like diversity and inclusion, some of these things, you realize that kids have like little to no bias. Mm-hmm. You know, especially early on, like they're not scared. You know, go, I mean, there is a stranger danger at some point, but like in, in the two year old, it's like, man, they they'll smile at anybody. They don't care. You're on an airplane and, you know, some big dude smiles at her and she'll smile back. You know, somebody who's black will smile at her. She'll smile back, you know, and it's just so cool to see like that purity of innocence, right? innocence before, you know, you get jaded in the world. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's that's a huge lesson I learned with my kids is just seeing how they enjoy just the moment and you tend to forget that are you a very hands-on father oh yeah very involved i like like i come home from work and it's like playtime it's really fun and i think like laughing i probably laugh more in the last year than i have in a long time that's cool just because like you're wrestling with her she loves it you know she loves to be like tossed on the bed and the pillows you know and she'll be like again again (laughs) now now being the ceo and founder of of, of a growing company a large company how do you find balance and because I find that to be a, a question people tend to ask me quite a bit. I have two children myself, and it's like, mm-hmm. how do you find the balance in being, you know, a hands-on excellent father, and also running and growing mm-hmm. a big business? Yeah, it's you know it's tough because people people you know ask me oftentimes the same thing of like, what does balance look like? And I'm probably the worst person to ask about that because there's very little balance. And what I mean by that is my wife Becca, she works at the company too, so we work together, we live together everything like we literally live and breathe mirror all day every day and so Mm -hmm. the challenge now is how do you create time and space for you to separate yourself from the business where you can like be in the moment and be present because it's one of those things it's like it's hard it's you guys get it it's it's hard to explain to somebody how ingrained it is into your into your dna when you've been doing it for however many years for us it's been 10 years at mirror that we've been working on the business and so literally like you live you dream you sleep you breathe mirror Right. And it's good, but the, the the challenge is that if you're doing that while you're trying to take your daughter skiing, it's it, you're not living fully in that moment. So it's less about a balance, but more about actually being present in what you're actually doing. Because if you're present mm-hmm. when you're at work, you're gonna be more effective. If you're present when you're playing with your daughter, you're not thinking about all the stressful things that have to happen. Mm-hmm. So like it's I kind of I kind of reframe it in a little, little bit different way. So it's not necessarily a balance, uh, but more of just being present in the moment and making sure you create time. So the balance piece is like time, right? <laughs> Do you have rules and stuff yeah. you put on yourself? You have practices you've <clears throat> implemented to you know, help we ha- you there? You know, it's um, 
it's kind of an ebb and flow, you know, like some nights my wife and I'll be like in bed, both laptops, just crushing, you know, just working on stuff. And then other nights it's like, it's just communication too of like, Hey, tonight let's, let's close the laptops. Let's watch a show. Let's just Mm -hmm. like zone out, you know? And it's, um, but let, you know, it's, and it's interesting as like the stress goes up and the growth is gone. I've had to be, uh, more aware about, how I'm affecting my family. And recently, and that, and this is why I love my wife so much. Like, I think it was a couple weeks ago. She was like, you know what? Shooting you straight. Recently, you haven't been enjoyable to be around. <laughs> you're going to love like, that though. Oh, you know wow. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's like, it sounds like my wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> and usually, usually I know when it's coming. I'm like, yeah, 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 so you're right. And this time, truth. this yeah. time was like, the thing that was scary for me was that like, I hadn't recognized it yet. Uh, you're like, I thought I was being cool. Yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. like, wow. Okay. So then it's like, all right, self-reflection. Let's what was it? through this. What was it that, why were you so, un- like, why was it so not cool being around you? <laughs> what were you doing? You know, there, there's just or what like were you some, not doing yeah. probably, <laughs> uh, you know, is not being present, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so taking the stress of work and like relationships and the tensions, like we have a lot of healthy tension right now at our company. Um, and I say healthy tension because people are always want to like have this idea that like, Oh, it's all good when nobody's like arguing or fighting. And like we mine for conflict mm. at our company in the sense of like, we want people to disagree and like challenge, mm-hmm. like we want to mm-hmm. do that. And sometimes it like really gets to you. And like when people are brutally honest to you, whether it's employees or whatever else, that stuff as a founder just like can really get to you and eat at you. And I was letting it eat at me, taking that, carrying it home mm-hmm. and just like zoning out and not being present, not, not actually being fully present at home. So that was like a big, like, Okay. Got to reflect, got to leave, got to leave some of those things. I got to say, I've met you now a couple times. We've been on the phone once. You don't seem like an egotistical individual at all. You seem like a very down to earth, uh, you know, cool person. Somebody I would probably hang out with. Oh, thank you. uh, You know, uh, (laughs) off the show. Um, So I I want your phone number. No, 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 but it's it's true. And you said earlier how you had a a big ego in college. And I know you told us twice now. Uh, once when we did the event at your company and yep. another time over the phone, that there was uh, an ego checking event that oh, yeah. happened. And yep. and I find that very common with, with situations where people have big egos. I had my own mm-hmm. where you've just got this big ego, you think you're the shit and then you get hit really hard with, with life that kind of, it's like life tells you like, hey, you're not as cool as you think you are. Totally. So what happened? Yeah, yeah. It's... Um Man, it's interesting to think about this this accident that if it didn't happen, who would I be today? Mm. And I'm and I'm kind of thankful that it happened in a weird way. Like I almost died, which is scary to think about. Um, and now I'm less scared about death than I was then. But ult- ultimately, what ended up happening? So 2006, um, you know, kind of tool age, like massive tool. Or you said less awesome. What was it awesome? Less awesome? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's a, that's the reframe, right? Yeah, yeah. I was less awesome then, right? <laughs> uh, so so kind of a major tool. And I think the thing that played into it is I was having early success as well. So while my grandparents had started this company, had success, and there was kind of this wealth generation for my grandparents. I had also had personal success. I had picked up our family's video camera, filmed weddings, saved the money, would start making ski films and rinse and repeat. So, you know, as a as an eighteen year old, I had five thousand dollar video equipment in my dorm room. You know, and so like one of my best friends now, like the first time he saw me, he's like, "This guy's a tool, man. He's got like dual monitors, like CRT flat screen monitors, <laughs> like two thousand three. Uh, like mini DV tapes, you know, like that was the era. Right. And so I had had success of like making money and like tasting that. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I'm 18. I can make my own money, you know? So fast forward, I'm making ski films. Uh, literally thought I was living the dream. I was How well up. did you do? Did you make d- decent money doing it or? Yeah. You know, I was probably making like, gosh, I don't know, 20 to $50,000 a summer. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So you're like, man, 
I'm not working at wherever, making ten bucks an hour. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking killing yeah. it. You're like, I my I th- I thought I was cool, and I proved it. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> there's exactly. my evidence. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> um, and then it, it compounded, right? So this is like pre-social media. And yet, like, here I am hanging out of helicopters as, like, a 19 and 20-year-old, wow. you know, like, filming ski films. Do you, do you guys follow Chase Jarvis Mm-mm, from Creative no. Live? No. Um, he's a really oh, famous creative. Geez, Doug knows him. Yeah. So I was actually Chase Jarvis's first videographer. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I, I got connected to him. He had this small studio. He was kind of um, up and coming, was doing video work for him, Stevens Pass. Anyway, we're filming at Stevens Pass April um, 15th, 2006. And we're on the front side trying to post up for a shot, dropped a cliff, got back seat, had to get out of this like really narrow alley of trees out into this bowl. Um, and when I skied, I didn't ski with poles. I had the, my camera tucked under my jacket and a harness. So I kind of, you know, poles really help for balance. Um, and so I didn't have any balance, got back seat and ended up splitting two trees. And what happened was my ski hit something on the ground, like a twig or something and opened up my leg. And my thigh took an absolute just header right into this giant tree. Ooh. Snapped my femur in half. Um, Which that around. is, people that don't understand. That is a very hard bone yeah, to snap. <laughs> yeah, to snap the femur. That, and that, it's a dangerous bone to snap. And it is a dangerous yeah. bone. So it's so it's interesting because ignorance is kind of bliss, right? So like if I, had broke, if I had broken my femur and not known about your femoral artery bleeding to death internally, I probably, I would have had a, 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 a very unique life or death experience, but I might not have known that you could have died. Right. And so my roommate at the time, he had done it two years earlier at a different mountain. He had lived, he survived, came back and said, Hey, never break your femur. Cause if you do, you can hit your femoral artery and essentially bleed to death internally in about 10 minutes. So fast forward two years, 2006, hit this tree. I'm against this tree and I'm thinking, Holy shit, I could die in 10 minutes. Now you knew it was broken because you oh looked my gosh, at it. It and was you off. Saw- yeah. Like if you go to my Instagram, you can, uh, it's like, it's probably buried in there. But like every, every year in April, I celebrate. Um, it was my, it was a uh, what? Tw- uh, tw- I can't do math. I'm not good at math. 12. Yeah. 12, Neither can 12, we. So you're doing yeah. 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 This, this April is my uh, 12th year anniversary of kind of like living again. Right. And so like mm-hmm. every April, my wife and I celebrate the day that I almost died as like a, as a, like a celebration of life that like I am alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like we usually go skiing or we do something that we're grateful for. Um, so my leg is off to the right. I mean, it's completely like my boot is like twisted oh. on the side. I mean, it's, it's brutal. Um, this is no the, doubt some fucked up. Oh, it's, it's just, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. And it, you know, you know, like it was funny too, cause I was against the tree and I'm yelling back up to my buddy, Kevy, who's skiing and, and Chris, who's our marketing director at Stevens pass. And I'm like, help, I broke my femur. And my buddy Kevy was like, you're getting attacked by a beaver. <laughs> I was like, fuck you, my femur. <laughs> and so it was like, you know, it was chaotic, it was chaotic at, the, at the very beginning, but then it got really calm and it was weird because like, I just had this moment of clarity, like absolute moment of clarity in a short period of time. So what did it feel like? You're sitting there, you're freaking out and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I might die. Yeah. It was literally like, I don't know if the, and the leg's swelling naturally when you, when you do something like that, uh, but I don't know how fast it swells if you hit your artery. So mm-hmm. it was one of those things where I was like, oh my gosh, I literally could die, you know? And just like life, life flashed before my eyes. And I thought, and this, and this highlights how much of a tool I was, right? So like here I am dating my beautiful wife for three years and granted I, we're, we're, we're young, right? Like I met my wife when I was 18, when we first got to school, um, but it was like that moment finally solidified for me. I was like, you know what, if I live through live through this, like I need to marry her. Like she's incredible for who she is and like believing in who I am as a person. So it literally took me like breaking my leg to convince me that I should marry my wife. Do you think if that didn't happen, you would have just dated her and stretched it out as long as you could? Probably. Oh, mm. wow. Okay. Or I would have continued to be on a tool and she'd be like, you're a tool. I'm moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Did your sisters like your wife initially? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Cause oh, that, yeah. that had to be a process, right? Like you dating oh, yeah. girls and oh, yeah. bringing them back. Yeah. Oh yeah. She was, uh, 
you know, there was a girl that I dated. So my wife and I dated and then we broke up and then we got back together again. And then I broke my leg and we ended up getting married. And the, the gal I brought it, the gal I dated between my wife and I, my sisters were like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is like she was into the tool, Brian. And my sisters are like, no, no. <laughs> not cool. so you're sitting there, busted leg, moment of clarity, busted leg, What's need going to marry my-, my wife. Second thing was, I, I honestly thought about my funeral. It was weird. I was like, if I died, what would people say about me at my funeral? And that's what struck me. I was like, oh man, like, nobody will get up and say like anything positive about me. I mean, people will get up and be like, Brian was funny. Like I put a Volkswagen Beetle roof or bug on top of our roof in high school. Like I let our senior prank like like I was a jokester right like that comes along with being a tool right like <laughs> those are the things and so I, I realized that nobody got up and been like you know Brian really like changed my life or like he volunteered all the time or, or whatever and I was like man what was the last funeral I was at and it was my it was my grandfather's funeral in 96 and I remember his funeral so he passed away far earlier than he should have people were lined about the door talking about how he, how he had impacted their life he was mm-hmm. the type of guy who created this company from nothing right Every single store that he would go into, he didn't go into the front door and talk to the general manager of the location. He would come in the back door and he would talk to every single mechanic, greasy hands, shake their hands. He didn't care. And every single manager that I've met, because I, I, I worked there in college a little bit, um, always shared that. They said, you know, this is one of the greatest things about your grandfather was that he would come in and talk to the people on the ground, shake their hands because he knew that was the lifeblood of the company. Mm. And so that always stuck with me too. So that, that was just a, a, a weird side tangent. But um, that that was what I thought about is how people lined up for, for him. And I was like, nobody would do that for me. And it struck me. I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta get it together. I gotta use my talent and experiences to make the world a better place. So they, you, you get pulled off the slope. You're, mm-hmm. you're, are you telling anybody about this or are you still processing this? Like when did you start to communicate this? Like, okay, I had this moment of clarity. Yeah. So my wife at the time was, um, or we were, we were dating at the time. Um, she was in Europe studying abroad. So she was in England. And so there's, there's like a whole funny story between like getting off the mountain and whatnot. Like they were going to do a helicopter medevac, but they were like, right, he didn't hit our, he didn't hit his artery. So we're going to, we're going to ambulance him down. So we get in the ambulance and, and ski patrol didn't do traction. The ambulance didn't do traction. We went to this small hospital halfway between the mountain and Seattle, uh, the small town Monroe. If you're ever there, don't go to the hospital. It's awful. <laughs> we get, we get there. They have a new x-ray tech, new x-ray tech, I go in and out of the x-ray room three different times, off the bed, onto the x-ray thing, off back three times, moving me around, trying to get the shot. They couldn't get the x-ray. They finally got after three times. And they're like, no, we have an on-call orthopedic surgeon. We can do it here. And I'm, and I'm like in and out of it, you know, just totally hopped up on adrenaline and, and drugs. And I'm like, I don't think this is a good idea. And Chris, may he rest in peace. So Chris, we'll get into this later, but he was um, a good friend. He was the marketing director at Stevens. He ended up losing his life in an avalanche years later, oh, wow. um, which is kind of an wow. interesting experience. And... So he's there and he's like, no, we're calling his parents. So my parents are like, absolutely not. Take him to Swedish, which is the main hospital in Seattle. And so Swedish shows up and they're like, has nobody done traction on this guy? And everybody kind of looks at each other like, you didn't do traction? You didn't do traction? Oh, so shit. traction is essentially where you, str- you strap this like metal thing, this metal plate to your ankle and your hip, and they crank your leg apart. To straighten that to shit out. strengthen. Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at the picture oh, right yeah, now. Right there. Yeah, there you go. That's, yep. a, that's a clean, gnarly break in <laughs> yep. the bones right next to each other. Yep. And so you got to pull it apart um, and get it back together. And because those bone fragments kind of on the right side, you see how it's kind of sharp, like it's mm-hmm. just sharp. That's a floating around while we're getting Oof. off the mountain on the ambulance in and out of the x-ray room. So literally like within all of that, it could have hit the artery because nobody did traction for mm-hmm. those like three hours. And so these Swedish guys are like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> So we do traction, we get to Swedish, it's, it ends up being all good. But I, we had this again, pre-internet, um, I think I had a flip phone and my wife and I always, um, 
she had like a calling card. You remember, you remember those yeah. things? <laughs> yeah, dude. I love being old, man. So twenty dollar calling card. Yeah. Use on the payphone. Yeah, on the old payphone. And we would talk. We would talk at like I think like eight a.m. Pacific time, which was her evening or whatever. I was like, oh shit, I'm gonna be in surgery, and she's not gonna know, and I'm not gonna answer. She's gonna be all worried. So I literally changed my voicemail to, "Hey babe, it's me. Everything's fine." Just want to let you know that I had an accident at Stevens Pass, ended up breaking my leg, and I'm going to be in surgery when you call. So call Ryan, my best friend. I was like, call Ryan. He'll give you the download. But everything's fine. She gets it. She's like, oh, my God. You know, <laughs> do I need to fly home? You know, so, so that, you know, she flew home. And then, you know, really that summer it started getting serious. It was like, you know, I think I think we should start talking about getting married. Like, we love each other. Like, this this is where we want to um, kind of take our lives. And so I, I, I went to her dad and asked for her hand in marriage because, uh, you know, I'm very traditional in that, in that sense. And he's a jokester. He's a, he's a, he's a retired doctor and, he's, and he, has, uh, he has two daughters. And he's like, which one? <laughs> um, and he, you know, it was interesting because, because, uh, Phil, Dr. Phil, um, he's not the doctor. Well, he is the Dr. Phil. He's not the Dr. Phil. Um, you know, he goes, you guys are a little young, you know, you want to wait a couple years, you know? And I was like, nope. Had this moment of clarity. Your daughter's amazing. I have a job. I just bought a condo. I have a car. I'm going to provide for your daughter. And he's like, all right, let's do this. You know? So, and I kind of, you know, kind of proven with my career. And so, um, that I wanted to kind of get into this. So now did you keep doing the filming after that or, or did you decide I need, I want to do something else? Yeah. So I was kind of doing three things. I was filming for Steven's pass. I was the first employee of a company called little hotties hand warmers, which is those air activated hand warmers. You go skiing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was also working for chase Jarvis as his first video guy. And so this is, so I graduated college 2007 and it was interesting because 2007, I mean, the economy was booming. So I literally had three job offers. I had an offer from the ski resort to like do all their video production. I had an offer from Chase Jarvis and I had an offer from Rick at Little Hotties Handwarmers. And I was like, I love video production. Chase is this amazing creative, super insightful. Like I could see myself there. The ski pass was like a lifestyle choice. It was like, I'm going to not get paid anything, but it would be amazing because I'd ski every freaking day. Right, right. Um, and then the last one was, man, there's a small business. I could get sweat equity. What um, an interesting choice you had to make there. It was super bizarre, you know, super bizarre. And Rick, who I'd, I'd worked for him for about a year. So I'd interned for him in the summer, worked my ass off in the warehouse, basically building displays for Costco. Uh, we had just landed the Costco account. Um, and so it was kind of this tough decision, but it ultimately came down to like, I was learning the most at Little Hotties Hand Warmers business wise, strategy wise. And so I literally took Chase's offer and then went back to Rick and I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I got this job offer from this guy over here to make this much money. Like, you know, can you beat it? And so like he beat, you know, so like, and, and Rick's like, motherfucker, I, taught, <laughs> I told you, I taught you how to negotiate, <laughs> you know? So that was, it was actually kind of cool to like leverage it back against Rick. So I ended up uh, working at little hotties hand warmers from 2006, 2009, uh, 2009, we ended up selling the brand, um, to a company on the East coast. Um, had a good exit, made some money from that. Um, and so that's ultimately how I started Mirror was I took the money uh, that I'd made from the sweat equity at, at Little Hotties Hand Warmers and, and, and started off with Mirror. What were some of the things that you learned from that company? I, you said that you made it sound like they were better as far as the three, as far as the structure of the company and what you could get from it. What were some of the things that you took from it that have now probably benefited you? Oh, man. Here? You know, I got I got so lucky. And it's funny, too, because we have interns and, and they're they're fantastic, right? But like at the age of 1920, I was flying to China with, with Rick first. And then, and then it was like me, it was just me going to China to work with our suppliers. Cause Rick hated going to China. And I was like, Rick, how did you let a 20, 21 year old, like go and run your company? He's like, I had it under control. But he's like, you earned it, man. Like you were trustworthy. You got it. You were smart. You were strategic. You listened, you know, like that was probably the biggest thing of listening to Rick, listening to people who have more advice. Um, and I think one of the biggest takeaways from little hotties hand warmers was 
not getting preconceived notions um, kind of stuck in your head. And what I mean by that was the success of Little Hottie's hand warmers was predicated upon the fact that Rick was the first person to go to China to source a hand warmer. And you're like, what, what's so special about a hand warmer in China? Well, two companies, it was a small industry. There were two other companies. They had both hammered out. One was specialty and one was mass. One made it in America and one made it in Japan. And, and China had been making hand warmers for 20 years as well. So these companies were 20 years old, kind of in their lanes. Rick comes along. It's, a, it's another long story. He figures out how to source the hand warmer from China. But the biggest difference we found out was none of these other two competitors had ever gone to China. They had. They'd gotten samples from these factories. But in Asia, they liked a long, soothing heat. And in America, we liked a six-hour blazing hot heat. And so Rick just said, well, can you change the formula? Whereas our competitors were like, oh, it's China. It's cheap. They make shitty products. We're not sourcing from there. So without even asking. Yeah, without even asking. Wow. And that made a big difference. Multi, multi-million dollar mistake on both those brands. Because wow. we ate their lunch for three years. Wow. I mean, literally, our, the price of our hand warmers was astronomically cheaper than their cost. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even fair. Like, oh, literally, wow. we just cleaned house for three years. And then fl- and then sold the company because it was 2009. The economy started like started change. We, actually, we had been approached by our competitor and another company before the market started melting down. So we're in negotiations. We chose this other company that wasn't our competitor because they had a better offer and, and a better um, kind of exit deal. The economy's melting down as we sold the company. So it was one of those things where like we had really really lucky timing because if if we had not sold it, we would have figured out how to stay in business. But man, that was those were scary times. 2009, like everything's melting down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, what brings you to, what brought you to Mir at this point? Yeah. So the idea was, so Rick and I, um, we sold, we sold Little Hotties hand warmers. He had a one year earn out where he had to be there for an entire year or maybe it was two years. Um, we negotiated it where like, we kind of made it look like I wasn't that strategic because I was going to go off and start the next business. And then Rick after that was going to come and join me. And so we started looking at SIG bottles, those, you know, those Swiss, um, like fuel canisters that yep, kind of yep. turn into bottles and they were like 30 bucks at REI and Rick and I are like, are you kidding me? These things are, it's just a bottle. Like now can- was it the lesson that you learned from China that made you kind of think like that yeah. where you were just exactly. like, this is so overpriced. Yeah. I, I was like, this is overpriced. We could do better. And I was like, and then I started researching and Nalgene was super popular. I grew up mm-hmm. on Nalgene's and I was oh, like yeah. plastic, you know, there's some things about BPA that are coming out. The SIG bottle was aluminum, which is toxic, but then they wrapped it in a, in a plastic liner. So you have this aluminum bottle with a plastic liner. And I'm like, that doesn't make very much sense. You know? <laughs> right. so, like, so that, you know, we started looking at the stainless steel market. And so that was kind of the initial thought was like, wow, you know, this bottle market's starting to grow. And this is 2009. So this is before, I mean, there's so many bottle, bottles in the market. Now yeah. there is. Now there is. Yeah. So this is 2009 that we started working on the brand. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to head off and do this. And Rick's like, Too Cool go for it, you know? And so ultimately it ended up Rick left and did his own thing. Um, he has a super successful brand that he sells into Costco and Amazon. Um, and you know, but we talk weekly and it's, it's fun cause we have, what is that? What is he doing? Uh, it's called Cascade Mountain Tech. So if you go into Costco and you see like, uh, um, stadium chairs, lanterns, mm-hmm. he, he is a, he's interesting a, he's as a, fuck. What is he's a Costco ninja? Like he just, mm. he's a product guy. Like he comes in and he's just like, he'll look at something on the shelf and be like, I can do it for better, faster, cheaper. Oh, and then wow. he does it. Costco must love him. Oh my gosh. He is. I mean, it's, you know, so he's like, he's built a good brand, but I'm on the opposite end. So, you know, he's, he, I don't know exactly what his margins are, but you know, he's, he's on thin margins, but he just knows how to hustle it through Costco and that's his model and just absolutely throttles it. I mean, we get it with hotties, uh-huh. but he is just a strategic, strategic guy on the business side. And then on our end, not that we're not strategic, but we're more on the branded side, you know, we're on a premium branded product. And so for us, it's, you know, that's why, you know, we do podcasts and that's why we speak and that's why we have marketing and a social media team. And like, 
that's our angle that we're going after. Mm-hmm. Um, now, over the course of this, the 10 years that you've been building this, have there been, have there been major milestones of things that you <clears throat> implemented or started doing? Example, i.e. like uh, the podcasting, or it, have there been things that like, oh shit, that really yeah. catapulted us or made a bit different? Have you noticed that? Or Yeah, you know, I, th- I think look, reflecting back, so we started the water bottle, similar to this one on the table. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that uh, is, is my superpower is basically... Um, looking and observing the market and seeing either what's missing or where the opportunity is. Right. So like the camp cup for us, for example, everybody had those grandpa's enamel, those enamel gramp cups that you go camping with. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they burn the shit out of your lips. They're cool looking. They're nostalgic because your grandfather used them, but like they're not functional. Mm-hmm. And I was like, these yeah. things like could be so much better. Always had my coffee in a ceramic cup. That's great. But then you got to throw in the microwave. You got to throw in the microwave. You got to throw in the microwave after it cools down. Right. So I was like, why don't we just make a badass camp cup and kind of replace that? So that, and that was like one of our, uh, this is one of our most successful products. And then, and that was like three years ago, we launched it and Hydrofloss just launched theirs like six months ago. Yeti just launched theirs. So, you know, things like that, it's like paying attention, observing Mm. is like where we've seen kind of the needle move for the business. Um, some little things like we became a certified B Corp. B Corps are kind of um, kind of a, a layered on assessment for your company. So any any for profit company can become a B Corp, and so it stands for Benefit Corporation. So you take this massive assessment about customer supply chain governance, um, you know, employee retention, diversity within workforce, and you get the score out of two hundred points. If you score above an eighty, you can be a B Corp. Uh, we're like a one seventeen. Um, like Ben and Jerry's is a B Corp. Patagonia was a founding member of B Corp. Uh, now, what are the real advantages for a company to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think now you're. It's still super um, niche. It's getting there, but like you'll see. It in, you'll see it in Whole Foods a lot. You'll see it on um, like some of the premium brands of like organic, non-GMO. Um, a lot of healthcare or a lot of beauty supplies that are like non-cruelty, um, things like that. And who, so who grades it? Who scores it? So there, so it's B lab. So B lab is this, um, nonprofit. I think they're out of San Francisco and New York and they have this massive assessment. I mean, there's the amount of questions is unbelievable. Um, and then you, I've it, never heard of this. Yeah. You should check it out. You guys should be, you should check it out. Um, but there's this like-minded group. So like I was in Portland at this B Corp conference speaking, um, but then you meet other people. So there's, you know, B Corp banks who fund, you know, local organizations um, who are doing good things in their community. So it's very community minded. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to, it's funny because they tracked us down at a trade show. They're like, you guys should be a B Corp. I'm like, you know, that's interesting, but we have this give code on the bottom of our product. Customer registers it. We show them exactly where we're giving, how much money we're giving. Like we're already transparent. And they're like, yeah, but we're a third party. We can help certify that you're doing good. And I was like, I don't know. And so we ended up filling out the assessment and I forgot about it or something. And Andy called me up from B Corp and he was like, Hey, you've got like a week or it's going to expire. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll fill it out. So we fill it out. We get, we get certified. And I kid you not, like a month later, Patagonia emailed us. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And they were, they, they emailed us and they go, <laughs> at first we didn't have a phone number on our website at the time. So like it was just an email address because there was like three of us, right? We're like, See, Taylor, not receiving. everybody has a great website right out the gates, bro. <laughs> Whoa. See that? Oh, a lot of multi-million dollar companies start off with Woo. a shitty website, Taylor. Interesting. <laughs> He's always giving me shit about how ugly our website is right now. I'm like, like, bro, priorities, dude, right oh, now. We man. Gotta, yeah, we're changing. Hey, if it's selling, it's cool, right? Right, we're changing yeah. the world right now. Yeah, Let us fix it. that. Then yeah. we'll go back and look cool later. We'll you know? clean it up. Yeah, yeah. you'll clean <laughs> <laughs> we'll clean it up later. We at least had our phone number on there. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, we had our phone number. I don't know what the hell we're thinking. So we get this email from this from Paul, who's a good friend of mine now. And Paul's like, hey, this is Paul from Patagonia. Not sure if you've ever heard of us. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, and I'm like 
crapping my pants in the office. You know, Haley, our customer, our, our customer service gal was like, uh, someone from Patagonia just emailed us. You know, it's one of those moments where you're like, holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Is like, this for real? Is for real. Cause I grew up loving Patagonia, you know, and this, and this kind of points back to like, my parents could have easily decked us out in Patagonia, you know, but we were in like Columbia, like everything was on sale that they bought, you know? So it was like, I aspired to buy Patagonia cause it was the best, you mm-hmm. know? And so like when I had my own money, started buying Patagonia cause I'm like, I want to buy the best. Right. Yeah. And so, um, kind of a weird tangent to like, how do you not make sure that your kids grow up as an asshole? Right. Um, right. Right. Are they, are they, make are there Columbia? Are there yeah. any, ta- <laughs> <laughs> are there any tax benefits to, to being in a B Corp or anything like that? No, but you, well, you might be able to write off the, I mean, you, you get to get the certification, you pay a All fee right, like based a on your revenue fee. membership fee and you can write off that membership fee. Okay. But, um, but they, they'll audit how much money you are you giving away. Are you serving like like let's say let's say like um, you guys are like how do we how do we give back in our business and you're like you know what we want to really instill fitness in in urban areas where there's not much activity mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and so you create a special mind pump fitness package for people living in like this zip code mm-hmm. and it's super discounted because you believe fitness will help transform their lives that would actually be part of their part of the assessment where you would get points for selling to underserved communities at a reduced price or something, oh, wow. something like that. So like there's they're super creative ways because you have everything from like banking to products yeah. to services. Interesting. Yeah. Cause this is a direction we've been yeah, talking about is. going where we want to figure out how we can give back through charity or through something like that. Yeah. So this is now is the goal, now is the goal yeah. for you to just maintain that over 80. Are you always trying to increase that score? How yeah. That- we're, that's what's that's, that's where like, I think the, the cool factor of this is, is that there is a, a baseline of assessment for all companies to take. And then you're kind of competing against yourselves and you're competing against others. So like Clean Canteen, one of our competitors, they have a 99 out of 200, 100 out of 100 or 200. Um, anyway, we're better than them. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Yeah. But, you know, here we are competing as B Corps and you better believe that when we're selling head to head against them in an account, I'm going to bring that up because they'll or, or they'll bring it up. They'll be like, oh, yeah, Clean's a B Corp, too. I'm like, they sure are. And we're sure better than they know. <laughs> but when that happens, like when we compete against each other in that capacity, we're only serving others and helping everybody others. like right. their employees Brilliant. are better for oh, it. I Our see. employees are better for it. So it's, it's really this cool thing where like every year we're like, all right, how are we going to get better? Like, and some stuff you just, you're like, I can't answer this. Like when we first started, we had a desk inside of a company inside of a company. So it's like, how are we going to manage our man or measure our energy usage? Not, you know, mm-hmm, like right, NA. Yeah. So you don't get any points on that. Uh, but you get, you, you start to measure things like, you know, your, 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 um, CO2 emissions from your building or, or things like that. Oh, so like, interesting. Our, like our flagship store is in a lead platinum certified building. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed the little signs above the urinals that say rainwater don't drink. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. why would I drink out of urinal? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, that's where I like to get my water. Yeah. 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 It's the, it's the, I'm so it's glad they put the sign hole. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that, you know, that was kind of a noticeable marker of, of, of us becoming a B Corp and, it, and part of it was just serendipitous. Patagonia reached out at the same time, but that was definitely a moment of like, holy shit, like it authentic, it authentic authenticated what we are already doing. Did you, hmm. did you fund Mir when you first started out of your own money? Did yep. you have, okay. So all now, when did you start profiting? Was it, was there a difficult period where you were eating shit for a mm-hmm. little while? Oh yeah. Four years. We were eating shit for four years. Four years. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what were you like? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So we basically, so I, so I wanted to give from day one. So we were going to, we were giving at the time we give now 3% of revenue. Um, and we were giving about three to 5% of our revenue. Cause back, back in 2010, we were giving a dollar for every bottle. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, okay, what happens if you're like giving away bottles or you're, you're selling at reduced prices or, you know what I mean? Sure. So we, we kind of normalize it to revenue. Cause like a dollar on a growler is way less on a percentage than a dollar of a pint cup. That's five of bucks. Course. Right. So we, we normalized the 3% of revenue, um, recently. 
So we built in giving from day one. So right away, that so was right the first away, thing. Yeah, it was almost like cost of goods, you know, of like, mm. we're going to bake this into our model and not think about it. Like at the end of the year, if there's anything left, we're going to give. Because I knew that there wouldn't be anything less for years to come because anything that we were going to make was going to go right back into the company. Sure. Because um, we're looking at the long-term view, you know, it's yeah. like, look, we're playing the long game here. We're not trying to flip it in three years or 10 years or whatever. So, so it's so it's so important that wow. people understand that because people might look at Mir now and be like, oh shit, great company. It's big, you know, it's successful, making a lot of money. For four years, you were eating shit. That's mm -hmm. a long fucking time. Oh, yeah. And it's important people understand that because I think a lot of people, especially today, I'm looking at statistics now, and for the first time in a long time, uh, more kids now want to be entrepreneurs mm, totally. than before. It's like a new thing. Like, I want to be yeah, an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's like a popular thing. It is. Yeah. And I know why. You know, obviously, tech lowers the barrier to enter the market, and they see a lots of popular you know, entrepreneurs that are coming out through social media and stuff like that. But they don't realize, like... Unless you're extremely lucky, yeah. you're probably going to be really poor and work a lot yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's going to break you. you and everybody to go every, through the mud. Every, yeah, everybody thinks about like overnight successes, right? I mean, like mind pump, right? Three year, three year overnight success, right? Like, yeah, right. But it wasn't those three years because, like, think of all the stuff you were doing before that that oh, all 100%. led up to this, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, same thing. People are like, oh, you guys must have blown up overnight. I'm like, bro, ten year overnight success. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that I mean, for us, it was just eating it for four years. Any time during those four years where you were contemplating, like, fuck, maybe. We're we're not going to do this thing, dude. Were yeah. you ever like that? Or did you always like, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I've already knew that I'm going to eat shit for X amount of years that I'm okay with it. I can see the, the long goal. Or were you like at one point going, fuck, this might not reevaluate. Yeah. Yeah. Bit. You know, I, I wish I, I wish I could say that I was like, Oh, I always believe in this hundred percent all the time. But as a, as a, as a founder and entrepreneur, there's always doubt, you know, there's mm -hmm. self doubt. Um, the way we had set it up. So I think we, I think I'm, I'm trying to remember how much I made from little hotties, like a hundred grand or something like that. Literally put it straight into the business, um, over those four years. And my wife was working at Morgan Stanley at the time. So she was bringing home the bacon. So that's how people are like, how'd you make it work? How'd you pay rent? It's like, well, my wife paid rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she yeah. wrote the checks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was huge. I mean, for her to be able to make money. And then eventually after we started becoming profitable, she came over to the business and now we work together, which is super fun. But, um, there was a point, uh, and we, maybe we shared this on the phone, but there was a point in 2012. So this is before Patagonia. As soon as Patagonia like signed up, I was like off to the races. Like mm -hmm. right. if Patagonia signing on to what we're doing, like we can make this work. Yeah, sure. that's, that's right. validation. And we had, um, so, so Becca in college had nannied for Jason Kyler, who was the founder of Hulu. So he had, we had beta, te we beta tested Hulu back in like 2009. That's wow. crazy. Which is crazy. So we were over at their house having dinner or something. And he was like, Hey, I've been working on the secret project, you know, hmm. couldn't tell you about it. But were you that impressed when you first saw it or did you know, I was, I was like, Oh, this is cool. You don't have to like, cause I, I like nobody won't like, like, I always thought the idea of cable was like ludicrous, right? Like, right. like well, as soon as you saw YouTube, you're like, why doesn't everybody do this? You know? Yeah. And so, um, so for it, I was like, this is brilliant. Like you can watch your shows whenever yeah. you want on my time on yeah. my time you know and, and and then it was like how did you get all these networks to agree and like i mean that guy's a gangster like <clears throat> the amount of deals that he had probably put together to get everybody to like be in the same room yeah is super mm -hmm. impressive sure. and they're really accelerating right now it's yep. fun to watch them they're, they're killing the they're game. killing it yeah. um so there was a point where jason had reached out through somebody within the organization and said hey there's this opening we think you'd be really good for it it's in santa barbara or Sa no sorry santa Mar santa monica and it was it was at the time where i was like man like, I, I want to see this through, like, and I'm kind of like, I put a bunch of money in this, but man, Hulu's taking off. Mm -hmm. We could move to SoCal for a couple of years, see what it's like there. We've been living in the rain. So there, I mean, there was a, there was a period in 2012, 2013 where I was like, oh man, do I throw in the towel and go and work for Hulu? See now, why didn't you, why didn't you make that? Because a lot of times I think people look at entrepreneurs and just some entrepreneurs are like this where they're, where they're driven by 
Profit, money, opportunity, opportunity, money. Look, like I read this article once. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And it talks about entrepreneurship and how there's an element of artistry and entrepreneurship and people, they made a scale and they said, you know, on one end of the scale, you have artists on the other end Mm -hmm. of the scale, you have pure entrepreneurs and a pure entrepreneur is someone that builds up businesses and sells them and doesn't Mm -hmm. really care, just wants to make the money and see that. And that's also, that's very valuable to society. And that's an, that's just a different type of person. Then you have artists who believe in what they're doing so much that they'll do it forever, making almost no money because they believe so yep. heavily in, in what they're doing. And so they, they tend to not take yep. those kinds of opportunities. And sometimes we see successes like that. And, but what we don't see a lot is the failures because obviously if you marry your idea for too long sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So what made you not go to Hulu? Because uh, granted, you would have made a shit ton of money. Obviously, it's a big company now. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to stick with Mirror and make no money? You know, I should, that's a good question. I should go back and look at my email and see what I see. What I wrote back to them. Cause I remember writing back to like one of the hiring managers as to why. Oh really? Mm. Yeah. I should pull it up. That here. would be a cool uh, thing to yeah. read. But, I, but I, you know, I think it was a gut check. It was, it was how much do I actually believe in this, mm. you know? And, and I think ultimately part of the reason I'd created my own company, because the idea to me that like having to show up in an office at 8am and leaving at five or six and getting two weeks paid vacation was ludicrous. Oh yeah. I was like, that sounds, that sounds, that that sounds awful. Um, (laughs) you know, and and we're trying to be as flexible as we can within our own organization. Cause I'm like, I I don't care what time you show up, like just get the job done, you know? So, and the challenge is then you have to like really define the job. Right. So they know what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that was part of it too. I was like, I really thought through it and I was like, okay, Southern California is really expensive (laughs) and I'm going to have to like be confined to, this corporate work environment, which isn't necessarily, it's not bad. You know, it's, it's just not for you. It just wasn't for me. And so I think, I think that was part of it. You know, how um, important is autonomy to you being able to control your own destiny? Super important. Just being able to like, see, like see a path and then be able to pursue it is, I, I mean, that's like probably the greatest satisfaction of running your own company is that like you get to set goals, meet it and achieve it. Like, like just this morning, I kid you not, I'm in the security line and somebody in front of me has a mirror bottle in their backpack. And it almost happens every time. Now do you say that. something? Do you like, hey, it's hit and miss. Like sometimes if they're like, like busy. Like yeah, yeah. 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 How do you like it? It <laughs> sucks. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mine too. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Usually it's, I'm like, Hey, nice bottle. And it's, it's funny too. Cause most people are like, Oh, thanks. Like I have no idea. Who you are, yeah, right? I have no idea. Where, yeah. Majority. I have no idea. And every once in a while I'm like, Hey, nice bottle. And they're like, Wait, didn't you start Mir? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I did. And they're like, oh my gosh, you oh, know, we right. selfie it out. And it's that's oh, and that's right. super fun. <laughs> that's <great. laughs> that's so <laughs> selfie it out. Yeah. Yeah. Never we, heard that. Term yeah, before. we don't we don't hug it out. We selfie it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, you know that it, autonomy is so important. I think to uh, it's funny. I had a conversation a long time ago with a friend of mine. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 22 or 23, so real young. And we were having this conversation, and he's like, man, he's like. You know, it sounds cool, but I could never do it because it's so risky and statistically, you know, you fail. And, you know, I like having the security of working for someone else, knowing when I can take my vacation time knowing that I'm going to get paid a certain amount. But for me, it feels the opposite. It's like uh, working for someone else. I'm not in control necessarily what's going on. Like, I feel like if I work for me, if Mm -hmm. I succeed or fail, it's much more determined on me. So I, I feel more secure in that sense. Does that, do you identify with that? Or does that resonate with you? Total, hundred percent. And I think <clears throat> that's the great part of that. I think that's what helps make the world go around, right? Like we need people who want to be number two, want to be number 10 at the company, you know? And right. I think, I think that's the, the, the challenge of this day and age while information and technology has been democratized. And so there's access to like, anybody can like use their iPhone, 
source something from Alibaba, flip it on eBay, flip it on Amazon yeah. and, and make some money. And that's great. But like to, tr- to truly be an entrepreneur, to like stick it out and like see something and it's n- it's not for everybody and that's okay. You know, I think that's the, the misconception now is like it's glamorized of like, oh, you get to work for yourself and you get to make more money and blah, blah, blah. blah. Like most of that isn't true. Yeah. Um, no, it, you take yeah. less vacation yeah. time, you have less time off. You're paying everybody else. Yep. You're, yeah. you're, exactly. It's, yep. you're, you do a lot of shit that you, look, I tell you what, you own a company, you're going to clean the bathrooms and you're going to do some shit that you would never do if you worked for totally. someone else in a particular totally. position. Right. But the way I've told people is I, I'm unemployable. And I don't mean unemployable in the sense that I don't have skills and whatever. I'm unemployable that I just don't would I just don't want to work for anybody else. Yep. Yeah. You know, yep. and I'm motivated by that. Yeah, and I think that that's a What do you guys see that's really different now because what's neat I love getting in a room where there's this many entrepreneurs that have been doing it for as long. I mean, you've been an entrepreneur since you were basically a teenager. Yeah. You know, what do you see different like that's really different today about building a business than what it was like building as a kid that's completely opposite or different than what we were when we were younger? I mean, for starters, it's like, it's like cool now, which is, which is good and bad. I mean, it is what it is. That's just an observation. Like people think it's cool to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Gary V, you know, and and hats off to Gary V because he even call, he he calls it like it is like, it's not for everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. and that it's for, it's not for most people. It's, and it's not, yeah, I'd even go as far as it's not for most people Mm -hmm. and, and that's okay. You know, and he always talks about, it's better to be number seven at Facebook than number one at no book, you know, like (laughs) 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 if money is, you know, if money's your sole thing, but I think the, one of the biggest things is, is access to everything, right? You have access to factories, you have access to online, you know, if you want to, if you want to start a company that does a million a year, and, the, and, and again, I don't want to sound arrogant that like anybody can do it, but literally like if you have a decent idea and there's a significant amount of customers out there and you can show up with a quality product and serve the customer, you'll probably make it to close to a million dollars. And there's nothing wrong with a nice book of business of a quarter million dollars, million dollars, and you can do it from your phone. Mm-hmm. Like that the whole, crazy. the whole four hour work week, what Tim, you know, Tim Ferriss, I mean, the, 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 he admits that the title is basically to sell books, but the concept of being able to work anywhere in the world. Like I have a buddy who like lives in, in Thailand and sells coconut oil and travels the world and sources coffee in Laos. Like so you couldn't do that 10 years yeah. ago. Dude, Brian, yeah. I, I tell you like liberating, if, yeah. you, if you were to view it as a picture, the barrier to enter the market before 15 years, 20 years ago was massive. Like oh, yeah. you had to start a storefront, would it cost yeah. you six figures to invest to start this thing and then to float it and then you're limited by, by the amount of reach that you have. Today, like look, look at the the equipment that we have in this studio to record, you know, video, audio, quality stuff. 20, 30 years ago, this equipment would have cost close millions. to seven figures. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, you millions. know, today it's like if you got 10 grand, you could probably buy amazing, amazing video and recording totally. equipment. And maybe even less. Doug's probably thinking that's that's a lot of money. Like, <laughs> and it's and it's it's true. <laughs> so it's like, well, not really. We spent yeah. a little more than that. Yeah. <laughs> but you just bought a drone for that. Well, dude, the camera on your phone, you know, how much yeah. would, that, would that quality have cost, you know, 10 well, years we ago? Well, we all, I mean, we started this business. We don't share this. This is often, but we all put $1,000 in. Yep. That's right? awesome. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everybody put one thousand dollars in, and you know we didn't pay ourselves for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, Over a yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's I think that's the, the biggest difference is if you want to be an entrepreneur, and I think that word entrepreneur has expanded, which is fine. You know, like mm-hmm. people who want to own their own destiny. So like you know you have gym owners or people that like want to be like there's now a wider spectrum of entrepreneurs of like people who are self starters or want to work for themselves. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the consultant has kind of creeped in entrepreneur, which is totally fine. Sure. If you want to be an entre- quote unquote entrepreneur. Now more than ever, there is no excuse not to try. At least try it, right? Because here's the reality: if you fail, you're pr- and you're a smart person, 
you're probably gonna be able to go back and be mm-hmm. fairly employable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you? Do you have a fear of failure at all? Or are you cool with it? No, you know it's it's funny. I, like people ask me like, how do you deal with like the 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 risk of like, oh, you gotta like you know have money and and a bank line and you have to grow and there's employees, you know, payroll and all that stuff. And by no means do I ever want Mir to like not exist and we want to keep growing and, and doing well. But I am 100% comfortable that if Mir goes bankrupt tomorrow and I have to move in with my in-laws and eat rice and beans for a year to get back onto my feet, like I'm honestly okay with that. Hmm. And it sounds weird. Like people are like, I wouldn't live with my in-laws, you know, but like <laughs> I, I honestly am okay with that. Mm-hmm. If I had to live in their guest bedroom, Sienna has to sleep in our same room. I'm totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes you feel, um, that uh, attitude is what makes you feel not fearless, but okay with being afraid. You know mm, what I'm saying? Yep. Like, like it's almost like you're, you're you know, oh, getting comfortable with the worst case scenario. Yeah, it's like getting in a bo- think, it's like getting in a boxing an- match. Like, yeah. you're, you're okay with getting punched because you know that's that's part of the fight, and you're gonna you're gonna hit totally. the guy harder or whatever. Yep. You have to be okay with getting punched and expect that it's gonna. And you're not gonna make gonna decisions happen. based on fear. Now the the check is you have to have people around you who are like, let's make. Let's make good risk. Like our CFO always sure. talks about mm-hmm. good risk. Like there's bad risk where it's like too many product lines, too calculated, many calculated. Di- yeah. yeah, calculated risk of like, you know what? We're going to ramp up inventory because we're seeing this trend happen. Mm-hmm. That's probably a good risk to take if you want to mm-hmm. grow your business. Now, how important how important, Ryan, do you think it is for you to have staffed or people around you that actually um would run a business differently than you or have different type of strategies or mindsets. We talked earlier about the, Sal brought up the artist mm-hmm. and then the, 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 the other, what'd you say? The other person? Just a pure entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah, just a pure entrepreneur where they would want to flip it, sell it, just make it profitable. Do you have people within your company that are like that, that are kind of polar opposites? Oh man, we yeah, we had a great, great, um, I don't want to call it an argument. It was more of just like heated discussion um, recently with our leadership team. And it was, it was fantastic because we have one of our leadership team members who is so seasoned, such a brilliant guy. I mean, he basically ran operations for Microsoft doing all of this, you know, Windows 95 globally back when you had to like burn CDs and like mm. shrink wrap them, you know, <laughs> and distribute that through Asia. So like super duper ops guy and super process it oriented. And you have me on the other end who's like, I love room for serendipity and, coincidence and like the flexibility mm-hmm. and more you know, artist side. Yeah. So more, a little bit more of the artist side. And so, uh, uh, something in the middle is, is probably a healthy balance for us. And so, you know, Nick's always pushing for like, you know, more purpose in meetings and why are we doing this and structure, 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 which can be good. And I'm always, and I'm kind of more of the, the antithesis of that of like, yeah, we need a good process and, and whatnot, but also like things happen when you don't have every minute planned to a T, right? Yep. So there's there's kind of a good middle ground. I'd say our, our CFO is kind of in that middle ground. And the thing that like connects those two pieces together for us is basically being able to trust each other. And that's because if because if Nick and I don't trust each other, it's not going to work. But if we trust each other and the rest of the team trusts each other, we're going to meet somewhere in the middle about mm-hmm. how are we going to move forward? How are we going to make decisions? What product are we going to launch next? Dude, it's, I, it's I, that open communication. Yeah. It's yeah. that you encourage the the disagreement. I love that. I, I think yeah. that uh, we've built that within this company too. Is it's respect. We respect each other enough to like. I respect Justin and Adam and Doug enough to where they can tell me I have a stupid idea or I'm an idiot or what I did was dumb, and I respect them enough to consider it because and nobody to wants super to be told. Pissed, you know. Yeah. Or- well, I mean, it's going to hurt my ego. It always totally. does, always right? Does. But but I, I respect them enough to stop and be like, okay, well, I respect them. They're smart people. Maybe they're right, so let me consider what they're saying, and uh, and I think that's important. That's like super. So far, the businesses that we've met, and this this podcast allows us the opportunity to meet some really uh, incredible, you know, companies and businesses. And so far, the most successful ones are the ones that we really in- enjoy working with the most. Have a blend of that, like you can mm-hmm. clearly see, like there's the artist, 
there's the business guy and there's the organized <laughs> there's person. The accountant over and, here. Yeah, yeah, and they all kind of understand that and work together and respect each other. And and I think that's an important aspect. Well, I learned that lesson in like my early 20s, like leading teams of people that were between 20, 30 people underneath me. And early on in my early 20s, I had a lot of success by myself. And so I would seek out others like me and try and develop them to be as good as, as me. Mm-hmm. And I burned a lot of people out. And I, I had to work really hard all the time. I was still successful, but I found that it was a lot of work for me to do that. When I started to look at my staff and my team more like a football team and recognize this is my quarterback, this is yep. my wide receiver, this is my running back, this is my defensive end, like and how different all those players on a team are. And to be okay with that, I can't I know that even though we're all going in the same direction, my defensive end is not going to know how to quarterback the ball. So don't try and force him. And you don't want him to. Right. And you don't want him to <laughs> and to be okay with those different yeah, positions. Yeah. It took me a, a while before I piece it. Once I did I realized how much more success I had and then how much easier the success came. So I think a lot of people make that mistake. I think we try and hire or try and look for people that all agree with us or have the same exact vision where, you know, I think where we're at, we're more seasoned entrepreneurs that we know that, listen, I want the guy who thinks completely different than me Mm -hmm. and then the other guy who's polar opposite and I want to pit them against each other and I want us to be able to take the greatest parts of each of them and then together the company grows. Absolutely. But Brian, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made so far? Because you guys have been in business now for 10 years. You're Mm -hmm. successful. But I'm sure there's been some dumb decisions oh, or mistakes man, so that you've made along ones. the way. We have some, so many good ones. I think like the most boneheaded mistake that probably like, quantifiably you can actually be like, this cost us this much money <laughs> is so funny. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> I've only shared this a few times. So this this will be good to, to, to share again because it's just like it's super humiliating. So we had so at the so in addition to bottles, at one point we also had a bike line that we sold to REI. We had kind of commuter bags. We had journals. So we had this like kind of active lifestyle portfolio. And then and since then we've, we've focused, which has been kind of a good, so like not a mistake because we've had some really good nuance with some of those product lines of like how we grew the company. It was interesting and intriguing, but we've really gone, okay, what are we world-class at? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's lean into that. Right. And let's great focus lesson on that. right there, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. Just really leaning into that. So and my, but my fear was that everybody was getting the bottle. So I was like, Oh, we got to pivot and do all these other products. And in mm-hmm. fact, it's like, no, no, no. Even if everybody's getting into it, we're still the best, right? Like, mm-hmm. like don't just get shaken just because other people are, you know, copying Hydra or you or Yeti or whatever. Right. Um, but one of the most boneheaded mistakes I made, I think this is like, gosh, 2013, 14. So we were making this kids balance bikes, you know, those bikes without training wheels. Yeah. What, it was a super successful product that we we're selling in REI. Every bike that we sold would help get refugees in the U S or like kids who couldn't afford bikes on a bike. So like super noble mes- me- message resonated, really good, really good margin, really good product for REI. Uh, and this is just wild that this happened. So our supplier in China, most suppliers don't have like at bikefactory.com. It's like they have like Yahoo, but it's called one, two, three. So what do you we, mean? What's that mean? Meaning like over here, you guys have like, you know, Adam at mindpumpmedia.com, right? Right, right? right. Over there, it's usually like at yahoo.com or at one, two, one, two, three is like a Yahoo over there. So they have these emails. So no, so a lot of people don't have company emails. Oh, I see. At factories, if you're like at Starbucks, yeah, you have a Starbucks email address over in China, right? But like, it'd be like you using your Gmail to run your business here. And Got here it. it's perceived as like not professional. Right, right. Over right, there, right. no one cares. Right, right. <laughs> Got, it. So, Got it. And we had been communicating over this email address, my email address, their email address. Their email got hacked. So their email address was literally like a string of eight digits at something something.com. They hacked their email address somehow, sent them an email that said, hey, this is Brian from Mir. My email address has changed to 
BP mirror something something at mirror gmail.com something where you're like what the fuck like mm. my email would never change to that right but no, they didn't think anything of it they didn't think anything of it they're like okay so they started emailing this fake email address what? and then from that fake email address they started sending out messages to me that was one digit off of their email address so then they started hacking you no so i never got hacked you. they oh. had a they had an intermediary account so the fa- they they intercepted the factory said my email address changed so this factory is emailing this fake email account. Mm. That's not me. Then they're taking their emails, copying them and pasting them and sending them from the new email address that they created that looked like theirs. With one number with off. With one number off. such a long so it never. So like our threads literally like never changed. You know how Google lumps threads? Yeah. So our, our emails are on Google. So like all the messaging was still in the same thread, even though the email just changed by one that's, digit. That's, that's brilliant. It was, uh, it was brilliant hacking. <laughs> yeah. wow. And so literally for six months, wow. we six got months messages you- back and forth, photos, PO, or maybe it was like a couple months. It might've been shorter than that. Literally you're copying and pasting our responses back and forth. And then as soon as we had to wire money for some of the product, <sighs> I got an email and I said, Hey, just want to let you know on the perform invoice, the bank account has slightly changed. We moved, blah, 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 oh, no big deal. Oh shit. And it was one of those things where like I always sent test money to accounts with a new factory. Always. Oh. And it was one of those things where like, oh, no problem, cool, send it to the bank. And they like, hey, new bank account. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's fine. They call me, hey, do you want to authorize ten thousand dollars to this factory? And I'm oh. like, yep, send it, whatever. Then three days later, they're like, we haven't received your payment. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's out of I my I sent account. it. And they're like, No, 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 you haven't sent it. And I was like, no, I sent it. And they're like, no, no, we haven't received it. I'm like, release the goods. Cause like with, with shipping, there's a bill of lading. They can release it, blah, blah, blah. And so, <laughs> so we're like, I'm like, what? And, they, and this factory didn't speak very good English. And so I called my buddy who's, who's Chinese, who owns a bunch, or who owns a bunch of factories. And he's kind of my homie over there. So I call up, I call up my buddy Ellis and I'm like, Ellis, you got to get on the phone with these guys and figure out what's going on. So we're on the phone and it's like just yelling back and forth, you know, in Chinese. And, and Ellis is like, they're saying they sent it. I'm like, they didn't send it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm looking through my emails and I finally find like the email where the, like the digit changed. I'm like, Oh shit. Whoa. I just got scammed. That's and so we, dirty. so we started to get to the bottom of it and they're what like a deep scam. Dude. Oh, That's it cr- was, it was crazy. So anyway, brilliant. you got it. You got almost respect. I got to kind of hand it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right, you, you got me. <laughs> you did a good job. You can yeah. Keep yeah. You can keep it. So we ended up, we ended up splitting the factory cause my, my press preface was like, yo, your email got hacked. That's your problem. And they're like, yeah, but you sent the money without calling us. And I'm like, well, so what happened? Did you, did they get away with the money? They got away. So Ellis was like, wow, it worked. Your net, like we contacted the bank of, you know, wherever we wired it, China, you're never going to see that money again. Wow. What a hustle. got, Got my ass handed to me. Those motherfuckers. Some, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Hate that shit. So Make that was so like f- just a bonehead, you know, like, like I mean, straight. though, I mean, how many people would that happen to? I mean, I'm not going to lie. Listening to that story, yeah, I'm like, that I could have got had the same way. I mean, oh, man, who's going in actually going <laughs> scam? Yeah, Dude, I have sure a, I have a buddy that and, and people are more privy to it now. But I had a buddy who got a call from someone who's like, this is the IRS. You owe us back oh, taxes, yeah. this and oh, that. Yeah. We're going to. Yeah. And they went back and forth and he ended up giving them like eight grand over the phone to pay his taxes. And the problem with this is the reason why he gave into it is because I think a lot of people. It's the fear. Yeah. They kind of cheat a little bit or lie a little <laughs> bit. So then they so then they feel guilty and they fearful. I'm like, oh, right, fuck. Right. Well, the, they right. got me. Four grand. I just got to get out oh, of this. No. Okay. Oh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. only oh. 20. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. exactly dude. Yeah. He gave, he gave him like eight grand or something like that. Oh, oh my yeah, gosh. Dude, What's the other one they do where they, they, the people email you like, oh, I'm stranded over in, in Europe right now with, I lost oh, my, I got stolen. What do they thing? call that? The Nigerian. Yeah. Uh, the Nigerian prince or whatever. Yeah. 
help me release my money. I'll give you half of my million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know people. That have sounds been real. Um, <laughs> that sounds realistic. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the the main charity work that you guys do because yeah. you covered how you guys give mm-hmm. money and give us a, a certain percentage of your revenue or whatever. Who, what is this organization? What do you guys do? Yeah, so what we what we committed to from day one was we were giving back to clean water um, around the around the world. So part of the uh, Genesis part of the story is, you know, 2009 when I started, I was like, all right, we're gonna make bottles. And I was like, what are we going to give back to? And I, and I honestly had no idea. I knew bottles. I saw the opportunity, saw the, the market opportunity there. And then from where we were going to give, I was like, I have no idea what we're going to give to, you know, and I, something, right. And so Hulu, we're, we're beta testing Hulu in, in what, February, 2009. And Jason Kyler had given ad space to Scott Harrison, who started Charity Water, which is this really great nonprofit out of New York that's addressing the clean water crisis. And so Scott had made this ad that was basically a billion people lack access to clean water and you can help. And it's super affordable. And and it was one of those things where you're like, oh, man, water bottles, clean water, like made sense. Let's do this, you know. And so that was kind of the the very start was like, hey, we're going to get back to clean water. Uh, Let's give a dollar per bottle because that can make material difference in someone's life in in Africa, Southeast Asia, um, Central America. And so that was that was kind of the start of it, of of clean water. And then from there, it's like it's kind of crazy how we how we ended up getting to Liberia. So our first giving project was actually well, maybe our first giving project was charity water. So we started funding charity water, started sending them money for for our sales. And I called him up and I said, hey, I want to go and experience what other people experience. Like, I feel like it's inauthentic for me to talk about giving people clean water when I've never like met these people or like experienced sure. their struggle. Like sure. I would love to go on a trip and like experience this. And they're like, we don't do donor trips. I was like, Oh, bummer. Like that's okay. <laughs> Boom. Closed yeah, door. Yeah. Um, and then that summer. So like right as we launched the brand in 2010, so this, so like I'm, I'm talking to charity water cause I wanted to, I wanted to like pre-fund it. I was like, I want to like, get some good going. So basically I like ponied up like five grand for, for clean water. And I was like, all right, I know we're going to sell this much. And then it's, or I, I didn't know. I just had an assumption that I'd sell as much. Uh, so we're at this photo shoot and my buddy, John Keatley, who is a amazing portrait photographer, he's done the portrait photographer, uh, photography for like Howard Schultz book cover, Jeff Bezos, Sarah oh, Palin, wow. he's photographed Annie Leverett's, um, tons of people, really famous mm-hmm. guy. And we went to school together and he called me up and he was like, Hey, I heard you guys, you're launching a business. I'd love to help you out. And so we want to do this funny ad campaign. And if you, if you actually go to Google and, and Google Waterbeard or mere Waterbeard, we had this idea of like making fun of Nalgene because we were making the bottle so you wouldn't spill water on your face. Okay. And with Nalgene, it's like, you know, you spill the water, water gets all over your face, like with this Waterbeard concept. Mm. So we started taking these photos and, um, and at the, at the photo shoot, this gal that John knew, who was one of the models, Courtney. She goes, I love, I love what you guys are talking about. Oh, there it is. Yep, there you go. Yeah, that's Courtney. Uh, <laughs> that's um, so we were. That's actually really interesting. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so we, you know, you see the analogy down in the corner, you know, like kind of knocking them. Mm-hmm. Um, respect. I grew up on analogies. Um, but um, Courtney goes, hey, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not really into networking, but my brother-in-law builds wells in Liberia. Like, you should talk to him. I'm like, all right. So I'll talk. So I talked to Daryl. He lived in Seattle. He was a he was a full time firefighter, and on the side, he had started this nonprofit building wells in Liberia. How cool! Because his and he'd been doing it for like 10, 20 years. His grandparents were missionaries there for like forty years, and so when he went over to go visit his grandparents, he was like, "What do you What do you need? Like, what is the thing that you need besides Jesus?" Uh, <laughs> and they were like, "Clean water." And he's like, "All right, I'm gonna start raising money for clean water." So he started doing all these clean water projects. So anyway, Darn and I we chat, and, and, and he goes, "Hey, I'm going in February. Do you want to go?" 
And I was like, I'd love to go. And so we knew that we'd fund two water projects based on sales. So my dad, my wife, um, John Keatley and, and one of my first employees, Travis, um, who Taylor, you're like his doppelganger. Like you look like <laughs> Travis walls. Everybody, need, everybody needs a tailor. Everybody needs a tailor. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Google Travis Walls. Um, <laughs> um, and so we went there and it was like, it was an un- unbelievable experience. Um, not only like how we got there, but just like to go there and meet the people that Darl had been working with for, for years and years. And, um, so that was kind of the start of it. Um, uh, but we learned a lot there cause there were, we'd walk around Buchanan, uh, which is about two hours outside of Monrovia on the coast and you'd see wells, clean water wells and, and, uh, kind of pits everywhere. And you're like, what? Well, why don't these work? And they're like, oh, well, you know, UN would come in, dig a well and leave. Nobody, nobody knows how to nobody, keep it going. Nobody knows how to keep it going. Nobody knows how to fix it. Such a common problem. And you're like, holy cow. Like you hear about this and then you go and experience it. And you're like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> like here's all this well-intentioned work just going to waste. And like, I think it's, it's a super high stat of like 50% of water projects fail within the first couple of years. Um, That's crazy. Well, you can't, it's like you're giving them something and then you're not preparing them on how to, or teaching them how to maintain it or, yeah. And this this is a common problem with charities. I know. Totally. Was it Haiti where we yeah. we destroyed the rice market? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Com- completely killed their because they had a, a a you know relatively thriving yeah they had a marketplace you know thrive uh, uh, rice market and and we just donated a shit ton of rice and it smashed that market there. So all the businesses and stuff that grew rice and so harvested stupid. and whatever went out of business. And then the people there now don't have rice once that rice runs out. And like, the farmers stop farming and the land's used for something else. Happened and, in Africa too, where we, yeah. we just gave them so much food that the, now a couple generations have gone by that don't know how to farm. Mm-hmm. And so now they're not, they don't know how to maintain. So what do you, what do you guys do differently? Do you guys go in there and train? And Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's finding good partners first and foremost. And I think that's potentially a big difference between us and other social enterprises is that, you know, when people are like, Oh, me, are you building wells? No. What we do is like we make design and manufacture and sell the best possible product in the world. And that's what we focus on. The giving aspect of it comes out of our desire to be generous as a company. And then we choose nonprofits based on like really strict criteria of like durability, sustainability. How long have they, have they been a long nonprofit? What is their results? Mm-hmm. What is their failure rate? And so two of our nonprofits, Splash and Water First, both have like 98% success rates oh, wow. over the last decade. How do they, how do they yeah. rate the success rate? So they, I mean, they literally have, well keeps going. I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah, it keeps going. If it's still working, um, Splash has this incredible system. I can't remember if it's like Salesforce or Tableau on the back end, but you can literally go onto their website and look at the well and see how much water came out of it like yesterday, or like, oh, it, might, oh. it might even be live. So it's oh, like wow. technology now with like with just like internet, mm-hmm. solar. You can literally get this information like almost real time, mm-hmm. uh, which is really really cool as far as transparency, accountability is yeah. huge. So part of it's just picking really good partners, and the really good partners are the ones who are there who mm. hire locals. They don't like bring some Western guy in to like save the world. Like that's right. the complete wrong mentality. Right. So it's going in finding partners who actually know how to implement solutions, how to train on solutions. Did you have to vet a lot of other companies before you found those or did you have connections? Someone's like, you got to check this company out. Yeah. You know, you, you, you get, um, you can kind of sniff it out a little bit at first. Like everybody's like, Oh, clean water. We do it. And you're like, cool, let's, let's write you a check. And then you start to look in and you're like, well, they've been around for a couple of years. Maybe we shouldn't like, mm-hmm. here's a, here's a good failure. We, we funded a water project in, it was a super small project. It was like, I can't remember, like, like a grand or something like that. It was in Laos. And one of our buddies, um, had been doing it in Laos and successful water project worked. And then the government came in and literally moved the village to somewhere else for some reason. I don't know if they're logging or whatever else, literally moved the entire village out of there. So now this clean water project, it probably works, but like the government moved the village, right? Like, so, 
you know, the things like that, where it's like, you know, that's just, that's just, you got to, you try to factor those things in, but, and then as we've grown, we've brought on people like Nick, our chief impact officer, who is, he's run foundations, he's run nonprofits. He has a really deep history and understanding like, what does durability look like? What does sustainability look like? What is, what does it look like on the ground? Like, who are they hiring? What's the end goal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do they want to be there forever? Do they not want to be there forever? How do they basically hand the keys over as fast as possible in a sustainable way to the local um, communities? Do you, do you still visit or do you ever visit these communities that you guys are? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we were, our team was just in Honduras. Um, I wasn't able to make that trip in fe- uh, February. Um, so they were down there in February. I think the last trip I was on was in Myanmar, uh, which was an unbelievable experience. That was two years ago, I think. Um, right before our, our um, daughter was born, we were in Myanmar, which cyclone Nargis 2008, I think was when it happened. That massive cyclone came through, um, unbelievable devastation literally like this sw- like near the bay of bengal the sea swelled up to like 12 feet and when it's already like oh, sea level you know you're basically on like roofs so you go to these community you go in these communities and like you'd meet the families and they're like oh well you know this is my son and my half son and my half daughter and you're like what and you realize that some of these communities like half the population so 500 people 250 of them died mm. in the cyclone wow. and then after they'd band together and create new families so it's kind of this like interesting cool thing that happened after, um, you know, obviously not the, the dismantling of families and the death, but that people were so resilient. They started new families with people who were left. Mm. Um, the challenge is it's brackish water. They're out on the bay. So they're shrimping, you know, a lot of that sort of, um, um, kind of trade, I guess. And so you can't dig a well cause it's brackish. It's salt water. So people can come by and sell water. Oftentimes it's contaminated or it's salt water. That's just a scam. Everyone's trying to scam in. Mm, <laughs> um, so what we were doing with this, with this nonprofit, um, was building basically, uh, rainwater retention ponds. So half the year it's, it's monsoon. So it, it rains. So these ponds collect rain for half the year. So that fills up. They have this massive pond that gets them through the rest of the year. Then inside their houses, they have clay filters. So they go to the pond, scoop up water, go back to their house and filter the water. So that's the way that they get clean water out on the peninsula of, of Myanmar. Um, Do you find it changes your, your, I guess your perception or sense of purpose when you go to these places? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, it grounds you, you know, you're, you're, you're in the U S and it's like, you know, everything's on your phone and everybody wants your attention and they're, you know, the pace. And you, you start to realize that with, with a potential amount of success comes the, the, the decline of potential joy. Mm. And you go to these places where it's like, they don't have an iPhone. They don't have a TV. They don't have Hulu and they don't care. You know, like they're so joyful. They're happy to ride their, you know, they're on their bike. They have education. Like the simple things that matter in life are like exposed and you're like, Oh man, I've got it so backwards. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like I'm just looking for a fresh pair of Nikes, you know? Right. Right. Wow. That's crazy. So yeah, that they're really humbling experiences because you realize that like joy is not tied to wealth. Right. Mm. What did you say you were here for again? You're, you're getting ready to head up to Santa Cruz, right? Yeah, we're going out to um, Conscious Company Leader Forum. Um, so Conscious Company Magazine's putting on a um, kind of a leadership forum on how to be a better leader and whatnot and speaking up there, trying to get in some surfing. We'll see. Have you been there before? Yes. Have you done this before? I haven't, no. Oh, so this is your first time. Yeah, yeah. And then and then tell me a little bit about it. Like, how, is there a lot of people that show up to this? Is it you sell tickets? Do they sell tickets? Yeah, I think they sell, you know, I think they sell tickets on Conscious Company's website. Um I should be more informed about this. Um, yeah. No, <laughs> I was honestly focused on this. I was yeah. like, yeah. I was like, I can't wait we to win. see the mind. Oh, that's cool. That's, <laughs> we, we surpassed them. I like that. that makes, down here uh, to hang out couple, with us. A couple hundred people, you know, and um, a lot of like-minded companies who are using businesses to improve the world. I love that direction. That's I feel great. like it's becoming more cool to do that, and uh, I, I feel like that's the right direction. Uh, I, yeah. I, 
you know, who is it? The the founder of Whole Foods wrote a book called Conscious Capitalism. You yep. know, it's that whole yep. that whole like you know, markets are great, but you also have to, or, or you don't have to, but you should have some responsibility. And I feel like as a as an entrepreneur myself. You know, there's there's some some you give you a sense of purpose. Like totally. you, otherwise, you'll end up finding that you make all the money and you're super successful, and you'll still find yourself like unfulfilled. Yeah, you know. And you look at like these people who have amassed wealth or they're creating wealth, and you, it's like, well, why do they? Why are they like mentoring that person? Mm-hmm. Why are they giving to this nonprofit? Because it's that sense of purpose when you have when you're able to develop and help others. You know, it's. I mean, listen, I didn't I didn't get here by just being, you know, a badass and starting this company. It's like Rick taught me everything he knew. Mm-hmm. I made some money with him, put it in a mirror, had a ton of people come around me and, uh, you know, want to join on to the mission and, and, and build the company. So it's there's there's a lot of purpose in being able to give back and doing something with with people. Right. Like if you were doing a podcast by yourself, it'd probably be super boring, but totally. We all we all agree. We all agree yeah. on that one. Solo sure. podcasts are the worst. Yeah, that's right. I think that's that, that is really the magic is that we're, we're all so uniquely different that if, I think by ourselves, I don't think it we the podcast would be nearly as special for sure. No, no. Not at all. Yeah. So when are you when's your your boy or girl come into the world you got a baby on the way got a baby on the way yeah august yeah. no august reveal second. party no yeah, reveal i've seen party. those are like yeah real the reveal popular. party would be like you'd be in the room so exclusive access yeah yeah it was actually funny our daughter we didn't know with our daughter either which is funny because most people are like that's super untraditional like everybody's wants to find out like from day one right yeah and everyone's like well it's a surprise when you find out and i'm like it's also a surprise when you go into your parents closet and find your christmas gifts like yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, like, exactly. it's a surprise but it's also i don't know i mean you know, are you people, hoping for one or the other does it matter you know it's a funny question because people are like oh you want a son right and because you already have a daughter i have so a daughter it, yeah it's I'd a good love, assumption i'd love to see the balance like just the difference and like how they interact but growing up with three sisters you know my wife super strong personality my grandma kind of matriarch of the family like I'm around a lot of women like all the time, mm-hmm. like yeah. our, like our CFO is a female. Like it's just one of those things where like growing up with three sisters kind of, I'm, I'm cool with like, if I had three daughters, I wouldn't be just, people like, Oh, you want your son? I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. You know, like, especially, you know, nowadays, like it sounds so cliche to say this, but just like having a healthy family is like P one, you know? Of and course. so like, I should be so lucky to just have a, a healthy baby. Of course. Of course. And yeah. it doesn't matter what, I mean, what the baby is, boy or girl, once it's there, it's like, you'll love it. Totally, it doesn't, it doesn't totally. really matter. And, and kids are so different from individually speaking that, you know, oh, yeah, you have yeah. expectations. Well, good luck with that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. But I, I think it would be cool to have, uh, you know, just a different gender to see, mm-hmm. you know, if I had a boy, I'd be interested and have a, a girl next. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm pumped though. Like it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be chaos. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? Having one and then going from one to two, it's not like, it's not double. It's almost like quadruple. There's a big difference between one yeah, yeah. and two. I don't know if you can a- a- agree with that. Um, yeah, but still manageable. Yeah, I, don't I, I don't know how people do three. I don't yeah. know how people do three. That's my thing. Yeah, oh, my parents are like four that's, kids. That's two, Same, two yeah. See, I would think that it would be easier with two than it would be one almost. Eventually, yeah. right? How, yeah, how right? the hell like do you figure that? Well, that's how it is with my bulldogs. Yeah, they play with each other. So, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't have to train the second one as much as I had to train the first one. It's just like, now I can let them play together. They got a built-in buddy. Yeah. It is nice. What age does that happen like what seven eight? yeah i would say like yeah well for for my boys it was when uh my youngest was four and then they really started to hang out and like yeah. play together and go outside do things together like build things together so yeah it took a while but once they got to like you know a little bit older it, it became like their best buds yeah yeah, yeah. 
Maybe it's different because he's got two boys and you have a boy and a girl. No, they love. They play with. I mean, I couldn't imagine not having both of my kids, and I love them. It's just, it's just a lot of work. And then the, the a lot of the work is in the. It's always work, right? But in the early stages, when they're infants, and you're, and then when they start crawling, and you got to watch out what they're doing, like that whole process. Yeah, <laughs> that is a, that is a, that is a lot of work, man. Yeah, see, I can yeah. imagine that, but then I would think when they start getting to the age of three, four, and they can kind of play with each yeah. other, and they're where, expensive. Where you used to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on, bro, it all adds up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. What do they say? The elephant like, in the room. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like and you look, you know, you're like, oh shit, that's another, you know, three million dollars invested. Yeah, into yeah. Well, exactly. per- I'm a perfect example of what it's like when you don't have kids. All the shit that I get to do is for the people. Like, <laughs> How yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah, do you yeah. do all that stuff all the time? I don't have fucking kids, yeah. man. My partner's like, I just went wakeboarding this weekend. It was awesome. What'd you guys do? Yeah. He's like, hey, what did you guys do yesterday? Because uh, we just house. decided to go to the movies. It's like, yeah. really? You just decided? You just decided? Yeah. You didn't yeah. get a sitter? You just went? Yeah, because yeah. that shit doesn't really happen that yeah. much with me. Yeah. Anyway. I'm just glad the kids don't start walking when they come out of the womb. Like, it's good that there's like... Like other animals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you just, just run off, right? Yeah. How shocking would that be? You're just like, ah, oh, because you know, you get this like... It's one of those things where like you find out you're pregnant, you get nine months to like kind of like get a little bit of your act together. Mm. And then all of a sudden it's like the baby's here, but it's, no. you know... Does it move very fast doesn't move anywhere it just kind of eats and sleeps we give birth to fetuses yeah. is yeah. what we're doing because yeah. of our massive heads and stuff otherwise yeah. it'd be weird if your kid was born with like teeth you know what i mean like <laughs> oh my gosh oh, oh shit one of my friends had a tooth their, their daughter was born with a tooth whoa yeah. that's possible that breastfeeding wow. must have sucked uh, yeah i can only i can only not imagine oh, <laughs> well brian you're you're you know when we work with companies you, you know we like to know the people behind the companies because that's an important part of of our partnerships, we have to, I mean, we have to believe in the people mm-hmm. and the brand and your company's a, a great example of that. And I appreciate you and what you guys are doing. Yep. And uh, it's been, it's always great talking to you, man. You're a cool guy. Oh, thank yeah. you. I, yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. I'm bummed we didn't get into like macros and maps and stuff. Oh God. Macros. You're a pretty fit guy and active. Do you train in the gym as well? You did CrossFit for a while. Yeah, I did, did CrossFit. Then I was and then you hurt yourself, hurt myself, right? And then, yeah, that's yeah. weird. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of weird. Yeah, wait, CrossFit <laughs> hurts? <laughs> weird. That's rare. Super competitive. Yeah. Cross, mm. yeah. Are yeah, you still do you still do you still lift or do you just do like sports and stuff like I that? I do uh, both. Like I, I still lift, um, run a little bit. I'm running, I don't know. I'm not. I blew out my knee three years ago playing soccer, and so I'm not super into running. Mm. I'd rather go biking, like mountain biking or something. Yeah, or hiking. I, I'm with you on that. Except I wouldn't do all of that. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather not do it. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Uh, what are your goal? What are your like goal? Do you just like to stay athletic? Yeah, you know, it's um, it kind of changed after. So when I had uh, my daughter Sienna, you can take your kid to the gym for like what four to six months. They're kind of just chilling. You know, mm-hmm. you just throw them in the in the car seat and hang them from a. Not the kid, the car seat. <laughs> From the band, you know, like we'd throw the band over the, you know, the bar and they just kind of bounce there, you yeah, know, as yeah, we're working yeah, out yeah. and like deadlifts don't wake them up. So they kind of sleep. So that we were, my wife and I, we were doing like CrossFit two years before um, she was born, which I mean, my wife was like doing deadlifts the day before Sienna was born. So oh, she wow. was like super fit. That's awesome. Uh, and we got back in the gym right after. I mean, I was in it right away because it was one of those things where like I took some time off of work and it was really important. And f- my fitness goals now are just to be consistent because mm-hmm. I've noticed that like, when I'm down or like joy is depleted or I'm like stressed, there's two things. It's like, what have I been eating and have I worked out recently? Yep, yep, mm-hmm. And yep. usually those map back to like, oh, nope, haven't been working out. Mm-hmm. Oh, just had a bunch of cheeseburgers, you know, or right. whatever it is. So like right now my fitness goals are like just to be consistent, mm-hmm. but I think it'll start to scale up in the next. Well, considering your exercise history and the fact that you've been very athletic, you know, soccer and skiing and 
you know, based on what you're saying, uh, I think, uh, w- have we given you access to any of our programs? No, I'd love to be programmed. Can you program me? Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'll, give, I'll give you 5% <laughs> off. Yeah, <thanks>. So <laughs> No, well, I'm going to get you on the right track. We'll hook you up. I think MAPS Performance is probably the program he would enjoy the most, considering you do CrossFit, soccer, skiing, you like function, you like movement. Yeah, you'd enjoy it. You probably like MAPS Performance, so we'll, we'll, we'll make sure to hook you up with that, and then I we'll hook you up it. with the, the correctional it. exercise components so that you can... You know, prevent so any take injuries care of those and joints. Pain. So I yeah. do burpees correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no burpees in our program. Yeah, no, yeah. 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 I don't yeah. think we've ever programmed those. Yeah. 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 I don't know if it would sell if we did. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. a, bur- a burpee is just—it's one of those movements that's just for it's, the sake of it's making a trainer's, you tired. It's a trainer's punishment, man. That's yeah. what we used. To, it's like every client hated it's like, that. Go sit in the corner yeah. and sweat. Yeah. It's yeah. literally yeah. like someone's like, "What can I do? What can I have someone do to make them sweat and hard?" Oh, I know. Hit the deck and stand back up. There you go. Wasn't there a study though that showed like your like your your length of life is de- is determined based on how quickly you can get off the ground from a flat position. It's or actually like that. there's two things. There's actually because there's a lot of factors, right? That's and they're interesting. Always, I've actually never heard that. Yeah, they're always trying to find a connection between like one thing and, and longevity. Right. Mm-hmm. One is how well you can get up on the off the floor on your own, and the other one is grip strength. Mm-hmm. So how strong your grip is is a relatively. I say relatively because compared to other things, it's it's better. Um, good predictor of uh, of health, but I mean, really, are they really good predictors? Yeah. No, because well, if we're going to go that route, things. I'll put you on Turkish get-ups anyway. You know, oh over, man, over those are the burpee. worst. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. But they're good. I mean, they yeah, they're way good. more functional. Way, way more functional, more yeah, functional yeah, for absolutely. sure. Way more functional because you you slow. You can't do them fast. Yeah, that's what no. makes that's, that's what pro- makes them so much better. It's just than a the burpee. intention that brings the intention back. Totally, because to the burpees. That's how I hurt myself. Was I was flying through burpees trying to beat my buddy right. next to me, you know? Yeah, just competitive. <laughs> competitive uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm no, not competitive at all. Yeah, you'll like, you'll like our program, man. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming Perfect. on the show, brother. Thanks for having appreciate me. Appreciate it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Always good times. Excellent. Always good times. Good Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now, plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.